Yeah, you're good, man. Okay, all right. Um, I, I guess just jump into it. Uh, so, Eamon LeBlanc Shoemaker. Um, I joined, I enlisted in the Marine Corps when I was 17. And I think it was, two, I took my oath in 2004, did, did the delayed entry program um, to 2005, because um, apparently you have to graduate high school uh, before they send you to boot camp. Um, I was a little, uh, I, I couldn't wait to go. I went, I probably graduated in, late May 2005 and by June, I, I wanted that first date out there. My recruiter didn't have to chase me for anything. Um, and uh, as far as uh, reasons why, uh, it, it, in 2020 hindsight, there's probably a, a whole laundry list of them. Um, but uh, I will say that kind of, and you guys have talked about this in your other podcasts and how uh, September 11th was kind of a, a catalyst for a lot of us being uh, uh, young men um, in contemporary America at the time, uh, you know, I just remember being, I was a freshman in high school, so I was 15, 14 or 15 years old, and I, I remember that day, like, you know, the, I, my physics teacher, uh, Mr. Moriarty, like, he checked his whatever email, is probably Yahoo Mail, that's how long ago it was, and he said, you guys hear what happened to the Twin Towers? I'm like, no, you know, we, we had first period, now we're here in your class, like, we didn't know, he turned the TV on, and that was like, that was it for the rest of the day at school was just looking at those images and I remember this you know as a teenager you're very prone to to anger and um you know in, in reactions of, of that nature so I uh I remember being angry more m not more sort of the fact that it had happened that was definitely a, a part of it but the biggest element for me was um being being helpless, being 15 years old, not being able to do something about it. You know, not even, I think you have to be 18 to give blood, you know, like besides putting together some care packages for, you know, FDNY and NYPD and, you know, a few like volunteer runs, like there's really not much I can do um, as an impact. And uh, um, I went to school with my brother and we lived close enough to where we didn't have to take the bus. Uh, so we either got dropped off um, or we had to walk home. So obviously we got released both my parents work. We were latchkey kids. Um, so we walked home and it was, you know, warm, sunny September day. And I remember walking past this, uh, 
you know, this kid uh, playing, like, I mean, kid, kid, like, probably, like, four or five years old, has absolutely no idea what's going on in the world. Um, and he's playing in, uh, in his front yard. And, uh, as, you know, like, he is going to grow up in a world where this is his reality. Um, you know, it's like, you know, and I'm, I'm, as I'm walking home, I'm thinking about this, and it's, you know, and again, it's just this feeling of, uh, of helplessness that this is going on right now. It's that, and this is gonna domino so many other things um, across our, our lifetime. And uh, I was like, you know what? When I do get of age, I didn't know at that point. Um, I developed, you know, uh, my plan to, to enlist. At, um, after I decided this, I said like, I, when I come of age, I will not let this opportunity pass me by, I will do something. I don't know what that is. I don't know what my role is going to be, um, but I will not, um, I will never feel as helpless again. Um, and uh, I know you guys have talked about this. Uh, one of your uh, guests, his brother went up to uh, to Ground Zero. Um, that 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 was a, a powerful story in and of itself. Um, you know, just, just pe I, like it, it kind of reiterated the fact that so many people had uh, reactions um, Similar to mine, you know, the only, the only, you know, difference between me and, and him was he actually had the, you know, he had the, the wherewithal and the, uh, you know, and, and a plan to actually go up there and do something. And again, like, probably didn't really know what, what we were going to do. Um, but, you know, I started looking into the military and really just for whatever reason, like, no family tradition, no, I mean, both my grandfathers, um, on my dad's side, uh, Air Force Lieutenant Colonel retired and, uh, you know, fought in World War II, Vietnam. And on my mom's side, uh, Navy, my grandpa, I can't remember his rank or his MOS. I think it was a, I think it was a heavy mechanic um, on the ship. But, uh, you know, not really like a tradition in our family. Like, you know, they both, you know, had their own separate roles in World War II. And like I said, um, in Vietnam. So it wasn't like I was following in anybody's footsteps, really. But, you know, I, I think uh, you guys might have touched on this in, um, uh, in one of your other uh, interviews that, you know, you're kind of, you're a teenager growing up with two separate campaigns in the war and terror going on. Um, I remember sitting there, like, football practice got over, you came home, like I said, like, mom was very hardcore about uh, getting homework done. I'm like, okay, yeah, cool, can I do it downstairs, watching CNN, watching, you know, Operation Phantom Fury. Uh, that was, you know, to me, like, you know, other kids are, like, watching, you know, uh, like, Monday Night Football or, or cartoons, whatever. Um, I, I was watching, uh, you know, Phantom Fury, watching the work that those guys did. And I was like, I think this is it. Um, I, I think this is what my part's going to be. Um, so uh, I found the recruiter. He didn't have to come find me. Um, you know, and like I said, I was off to boot camp a month after graduating high school. And um, let's see, got out there. Um, I kind of had a little bit of a lag time between uh, uh, getting out of boot camp and going to uh, going to ITB. So I was home for a little bit and uh, on recruit assistance for a couple of weeks. And to me, it was just like, all right, let's, let's get the ball rolling. Like, you know, it's, and I'm still, I'm, I'm doing the exact same thing, watching everything unfold on CNN and MSNBC and Fox News. I'm like, all right, can we, like, can we jump in the deep end already? Um, so went through ITB, um, some of the most miserable training ever, because uh, I went uh, during the winter months. We started on December 1st. And of course, you guys know North Carolina winters are, uh, testy at best. So, um, you know, I uh, went through that. I uh, hit the fleet around February um, 2006, and I uh, got signed to a two-way Fox company. Um, 
you know, and it was a, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was definitely a culture shock, um, as far because like these guys had, it was like a mix of, they had just gotten back from their MU deployment, and um, uh, maybe not just got back, but like they were coming like off that leave block and you know going to, like the rifle range and all that stuff. And of course, you hit the fleet on a Friday night, um, doesn't matter when, <laughs> and you know it's like it, I think it was like probably 7 p.m. 7:30, like. Uh, you know, at the time, I think he's a gunner now, but Jackson, uh, Action Jackson met us up um, and, you know, got us all the lay of the land and everything, told us what we were going to need, got us our rooms assigned. Uh, I think it was me and Mike Kamadula were in the same room for a hot minute. And, you know, I, I don't want to throw names or anything, but, you know, immediately came in. Somebody asked, you know, what's the mission Marine Corps Rifle Squad? And for whatever <laughs> reason, you know, you just... You know it. You studied it. You you could say frontwards and backwards at boot camp, but somebody like flies your, you know, the door of the barracks room flies open. Somebody asks you that right there on the spot. You just have a mental, you just take a mental dump. And you're like ah fuck. So you know they ha- let the hazing commence from there. Um, that was one of those things where I probably just should have, like, because you still had SOI mode, so you still meet up with all your SOI buddies like at the hotels and stuff uh, or out in town, and you know everybody's talking about what happened. Their first night and all sorts of stuff. Like, yeah, me and Mike, you know, they came in. They just, you know, we fucked up and, you know, they just started, uh, you know, they, you know, doing the, uh, was it the Mighty Mouse uh, jumping jacks and, you know, the monkey fuckers and all this <laughs> other stuff. And, um, and like, so, like, I told them that, and like, like, so one of the guys that I, I don't even remember his name, uh, he heard about it and I guess told his first sergeant. And then obviously, if you hear from something from the top down, especially when it's from somebody at another unit, um, it's bad. Uh, it's it's always going to be bad. You want to handle stuff in house without anybody, um, you know, uh, you know, w- without anybody, you know, telling you how to run your shop. So, um, and I think it probably got a little blown out of proportion. I mean, like Mike and I really didn't care. We were just like, all right, this is just you pay your dues, all right. And I fucking best believe we both knew the mission Marine Rifle Squad that Monday morning. But uh, and then it, it, it was this weird thing where it's just like you know people are talking about investigations and. Uh, you know, like, you know, where you guys assaulted with that. And I'm just like thinking like, I just want to come here to, can we just train? Like, what the fuck is this? Oh, about? wow. They actually um, kind of, so. they actually kind of made it a big deal about it or. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, where from, I mean, you guys definitely too. Like, I think like things were starting to change a little bit when it came to stuff like that, but there was still like, you know, it, it's like any, any tribe, you know, you're going to have to. You're gonna have to take your lumps. You're gonna have to, you know, put up with it because everybody did. It's just an initiation thing, and uh, they made a, yeah, you know, for whatever reason, they made a big deal about it. Um, probably the one of the few times I actually saw Captain Mingus getting legit upset. He was like, "Oh, you guys want to fuck with new people?" I was like, "He's like, trust me, I got games for fucking days. All right, <laughs> you know, between between recon, being a fucking kill hat, or you know, being a drill instructor. He's like, he's like, trust me, we can fucking play games all goddamn day. I would rather teach you guys how to fucking shoot, move, and communicate effectively. But like, and and I was like thinking to myself, like, oh fuck, man. And like it, it kind of alienated our little boot drop. Um, saying like, oh, look at these guys, like bitching and like and it, that just wasn't the fucking case. So You went on a hit list, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like, I was like, what what a first week. Like this is this is dynamite. Like how how can you beat this? Like I'm everybody i'm mr popular around this place uh, but uh, it's you know like s- such is life everything's not stagnant so like there was a whole like that phased out like somebody else you know fucked up something else and, like it was just like you know like our, our time had passed you know it was just basically kind of like you endure and then you know you know you, 
uh, an infantry battalion will never have any uh, any shortage of fuck ups. So you know, like somebody else got the story like two weeks later, or like yeah. then everybody was talking about that. So, um, but yeah, so from there, like, and I, 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 since I was, I haven't made it through Elijah's um, full podcast. Like, uh, I've been trying to catch up a little bit. I missed the last couple, so. Um, but I, I, I do agree a lot about what he said, uh, from what I've heard that like that chain of command right there between Captain Mingus and First Sergeant Williamson, Lieutenant Buckley, um, and, uh, it just a lot of, it was very, very, it was very, very, uh, small unit oriented. Um, and he actually, since we're on the subject now, uh, for that Fallujah deployment, um, I think this was like the first time an actual company did this. They made... Uh, four platoons instead of three riflemen platoons and a weapons platoon. Um, so I don't know, Paulie, if you want to weigh in on this and um, as being a, a 51, but it, it was like, you know, like you think about it, like obviously, like, you know, be, being, you know, having a weapons otherwise, you know that eventually you're going to get assigned to one of the riflemen uh, um, platoons. Like you just know that going to the gate. Um, making a fourth platoon means you have to cherry pick. Well, Cherry pick, or there's two ways to look at it. It's like you either selected, or you didn't make the fucking cut. You know, so make, so it's like, yeah, I, I got this, you know, reject squad over here um, that just none of the other three platoons wanted. There's one way to look at it. The other way is like, like all right, we're gonna take, you know, certain people that you know we think are gonna work well together. Um, it was received as, yeah, we were like the, you know, we were the kids in the bicycle helmets, you know, sitting at the edge end of the bench, like. Uh, like, uh, we got we got to have him play, but you know, we'll <laughs> throw him over in the fourth platoon. So, uh, I think I think that we had like kind of like a chip on our shoulder for that. Um, I don't know if Elijah agrees with me or not, but uh, I, I thought I was like, you know what? Hey, fuck it. You guys think that we're a bunch of you know misfits? We're gonna act like it. And um, between the squad leaders and the team leaders, um, basically, I had a wealth of information at my disposal. Um, you know, it's um, eventually where I ended up, and actually, uh. I trained a little bit on a Corporal Meyer um, with his 51 fire team. So I uh, didn't, didn't learn anything nearly as cool as what you guys got to do playing with Wait, demos. So, ha- so hang on, yeah. because yeah. Let, me, let me just jump in here. Yeah. Cause I didn't, you know, when, when I came from SOI being a, a weapons guy, assault man, they, they dropped me into third platoon, but I didn't understand. So did they in fourth platoon, when we got there, they still had the forward line platoon. Did they, did they make like the assault guys like one whole fire team or did they split them up but be- uh, between the squads so they basically made the assault guys at, le- at least for us it was like each squad had that um had like their own specific mos whether it was mortars uh machine guns and assaultmen um and they tried to keep them together as much as possible oh so they split them up into their own teams in each squad yeah. Yeah, and, and it just it just happened to work out that you know uh, there were, we only had three assaultmen, and you obviously need to match number four. So right. they're like, all right, yeah, shoot, or they call me Spitshine. Yeah, Spitshine, you're gonna go, uh, um, yeah, you know, you're gonna go hang out with the 51s. And I was like, oh, please teach me something. Uh, <laughs> please teach me how to blow stuff up, because like obviously hindsight's 2020. 20, like, yeah, everybody wants to be a rifleman. Like, yeah, but we did that. Like, we want, I want to do both. Like, yeah. you know, everybody wants to be in the stack. I mean, I think the guy with the coolest job is the one blowing the friggin' door. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was, uh, that deployment, like I, you guys have already covered that at length with, uh, with Elijah. Um, that was kind of, you know, it was a good way to get my feet wet and like, that's why like, I'm 19 years old at this point. And, uh, at the time corporal, I think it was tired as, yeah, he retired as a sergeant. So Lucia says, 
all right, you're walking point. And like, I have no idea where I am in the world. I know I'm a fucking dot on a map. It's pitch black out here. Um, cause it, we, we were, we were working, um, all night patrols, I think that week. And, uh, he's like, all right, we got to get to this village, this village and this little compound. He's like, so basically just, and I was like, again, 19 years old, don't speak a word of Arabic. Um, there's like sheep farmers doing their thing. And like, I have no, like, everything's a threat. Um, and like, literally it was just one of those like silent nights where like, you can hear a friggin' a rat piss on cotton. Like that's how quiet it is. <laughs> And uh, I just like, like, I'm going like my, we didn't even have the, uh, God, what is it? Seven Bravos um, that flip down and like they cover both your eyes, but you're only looking out one reticle. Is that right? Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't ever remember. I think there yeah. was still some guys that had those. I think those. Yeah. I think. Yeah, there yeah, were. were. Yeah. yeah. So uh, no yeah. depth perception whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Fucking nothing. I'm looking through this little green hole. I'm like, I think I probably got maybe a hundred meters, 200 meters tops. And I was like, fuck this. Um, and just went off my natural, uh, you know, my natural night vision for a little while. Uh, Cause the moon was so bright that like we did have pretty good uh, loom. Uh, that was like the, that was the good part about being there in the summer besides the 130 degree heat. Um, but uh, yeah, so like that was that deployment um, kind of like, you know, got a few and like, you know, it wasn't anything very kinetic. I mean, the ID threat was the highest, especially like, when uh you know when we had to start doing uh truck mounted operations or uh, anything that had to do with uh being mounted uh the id threat was a lot bigger uh the mortar threat was like yeah we probably got mortared seemed like you know almost every week and uh yeah and like there was there really wasn't much to you know to do there um as far as like we didn't have by the time we left it was like internet cafe there was like you know there was phones you could use with phone cards and everything but uh you know just one quick story like so like if you got the sat phone, like, I, do you guys remember um, being at, like, after the initial, um, after the initial helo insertion, uh, when we were at, uh, what, do we even name that outpost? He calls it the 501 Northing to whenever. The five, five zero Northing. I just call it OP shithole. Yeah, OP shithole. So, <laughs> so, so, so all of us are contemplating our decision to not go to college at OP shithole. Meanwhile, there's an NPR reporter who has a sat phone so he can, you know, stay in contact with his boss and everything. Uh, so we had one of those. Um, and it was coveted just as much as that sat phone was from, uh, from Graham, the NPR reporter. Uh, so I was going to um, call my mom like for the first time in months. Um, and we'll be like on the phone for maybe three or four minutes and just friggin' pop, 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 like just, you know, cause they would fire mortars in, I think they were doing it out of the back of pickup trucks. I'm not positive on that, but it wasn't like, it was like, they weren't walking on target. They weren't firing for effect. It was literally just like, all right, yeah, does that look right? Cool. So they basically just blew their load, and I just happened to be standing on that's I was inside the COC structure, like inside the HESCO, but I was to the closest wall. I, I wasn't far away from it, but literally, like, like the ground is shaking. And uh, I'm like, hey, mom, love you, got to go. Click. <laughs> um, so, and like, I told, I think I told one of my team, uh, Andy Powers, about it. He was like, yeah, you're going to, like, after, like, you know, because you get to stand to and everything and all this other shit. And he's like, yeah, you, you're going back to that sad phone and you're telling your mom you're okay. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. So, uh, um, uh, like I said, like, I think I, I learned a lot about, and I was very fortunate to have uh, some of the best fire team and, and squad leaders, um, not even just to, to be under, but to, to, to observe and kind of and learn from and i think that's one of my regrets was like 
uh, and they, everybody's got different leadership styles. Uh, some people have the open door policy. Some people are like my squad leader is like, you know, if we're working and you have a question for your team leader that he doesn't know, by all means, you guys can always come to me. Uh, when they sound the little bell on Friday, I don't want to fucking see you until Monday morning. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's like, that was his style. Um, uh, you know, I got, and, you know, uh, I was just fortunate enough to see, like, and again, it was from top down. Like, uh, it was a very small unit focus. Like, Captain Mingus, uh, he was, obviously, this is like a, you know, Mogadishu recon sniper Mustang who just didn't, I'm pretty sure he wasn't born with a fuck to give, uh, but he definitely didn't have him uh, while we were in Fallujah. So, like, he had he had a whole week uh, dedicated to raids, just raiding different uh, different compounds, different houses, different HVPs, um, different marketplaces. Um, he basically was like, all right, we're just going to take all this intel. We're going to do one big sweep against everything that we had. And it was towards the end of the deployment, so we could be trusted um, enough with stuff like this. So, uh yeah, like uh, he was very uh, first Sergeant Williamson used to he used to tour posts uh, when he first got there, and it wasn't like a you know to catch you doing something or catch you with your gear off or whatever. It was literally like, yeah, yeah tell me about yourself. Like you know, you, you guys aren't going anywhere for eight hours. You're in a freaking closet, so <laughs> you know you might as yeah. well t tell me your story. So he always picked posts to do it. So it wasn't like he was taken away from uh, you know from your time to rest or you know get shower, or work out or whatever. Uh, so. Uh, I always remember that about them. And, uh, yeah, like, uh, team leaders, squad leaders, they're all kind of shit hot. And, you know, like, they're like, we had a couple of guys from Fast Company um, who I was in the fire team with. Um, and they, you know, obviously, those guys know anything and everything about Mount. And uh, so, like, picking their brain, um, I guess that is one of, my, one of my regrets was after that deployment, I didn't pick their brains more. Uh, like, now that I was assigned to be a fire team leader, I didn't get more information from them because to me it was like yeah you don't you don't go to these guys you know if you know unless it's something you know direly important um so uh yeah so that was that um and then i met you guys um you know while we we're doing the ramadi build up uh probably in passing because like i said we were you know we were still the the bastard fourth platoon um but uh and then uh yeah so at, so that was one of my one of the moments where I was kind of like, all right, this is definitely not going to be a career for me, uh, because. Do you I mean? Do you mean as after that deployment when you when you got home? I think when uh, when I when we first got there, so like, okay. a lot of us were like kind of like we're like, oh, this is going to be like more like Fallujah. We're going to kind of, you know, we're going to be able to operate, do our own thing. May have to do it, you know, liaise a little bit with uh, Iraqi police and Iraqi army, um, but. Um, and that was, they basically just fucking cherry picked again for fourth platoon. Like, all right, you guys are going to run security for, um, uh, you know, for the, the combat train, for, uh, for all the supply trains. And, you know, like, and it was basically like, we're not even with our guys. Like, we're not even with anybody that's in any of the line uh, platoons. Like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, you know, like, you got guys like, you know, Murdoch and Locke and everything. Like, they got sent to, like, headquarters company. or Yeah, and, like, sent, I don't even know where. Um, to like basically just stand post and you know and do zero patrolling. I'm, I'm not sure about that. You you have to ask Locke, but yeah, it's basically just the whole displacement and just like this is this is not why this is not what the fuck we're here for. Like, yeah, you, I you guys... I remember being pretty upset about that. Honestly, once we got there and they broke everybody all apart, like I honestly felt betrayed, kind of because like you know they're just 
reorganizing everything pretty much. And I was like, damn, like I didn't think I was a shit bag enough to just get completely broken off of the third platoon because they went up to OP market and stuff. And I'm just like, you know, that was weird for a lot of guys. Like, what did I do wrong to fucking for you to break me off and send me on my own way? Um, Weird, weird deployment. But yeah, keep, keep going. No, and uh, yeah, like I, and it's it sucks even worse for you guys because like you didn't know anything. That was like your first. You're like, this is how it is. You guys just fucking you know toss us to the wind. You know, I had a, I had a, I think I had a great first like two months before the uh, ginger started fucking up. <laughs> <laughs> how do you say ginger in Spanish, real quick? <laughs> I don't know, man. I would probably say like rojito, rojito. my little rojito. Chito, Chito, Rojito. Yeah, because Rojo is red. You know, my my Rojito. <laughs> oh, man. Um, wow. And then this is what I like about what you guys are doing. It's it's so easy just to fall back into, into just talking shit. Um, Dude, yeah, so, no, but I mean, one thing about that deployment, too, not just them breaking everything, it fucks with me a little bit because now we're into, you know, talking about shit shit i can contribute like like i've said before like you know the first patrol there like and just seeing how fucked up that city was and shit and then we all know nothing really big at all happened besides the end that v bid that wasn't really us but yeah with yale yeah so but then after that i remember hearing about i think it was it was one nine that ripped us i remember going i went on one of one or two dismounted patrols with was it two seven that we ripped out it was two five it was some it was some cali unit yeah it's two seven and them and those guys like i remember their fucking squad leader he was he was a fucking cool ass dude he was nice as hell to me and like trying to teach me everything those guys got fucked up dude they had bad sniper problems he was like telling me shit about how like certain compounds like watch these areas and like He's like, cause they'll wait till you're patrolling and your backs to them and then fucking hit you in the back and shit. And, um, and I'm like, Oh fuck. Like this is going to be kind of crazy. And then nothing really happens, but then one nine rips us out. And those dudes had bad S vest problems. They had fucking checkpoints getting fucked up. And like, I'm like, it, it just made me not at the time at the time. I'm like, what the hell is like going on? How, how is nothing really happening? But then afterwards thinking about it and being like, what, like, what did, what did we do so right? Or, or was it just, um, when we had, uh, General Gronsky on here, I, that I had a question for him. I was asking about that. Cause I know that was his AO. And I was like, you know, did you have lulls in combat the time you were there? Cause it was just shortly before we got there. And he's like, no, not really. And I'm like, that just left me to question what happened for that period of time, like six months where we weren't really getting in any shit at all. We were, it was, I refer to it more like a humanitarian effort. Almost we're giving the kids food and blankets and paying them and, and shit like that. Um, I, I do, I will say this, like uh, the OP South OP canal area and the battalion security area below Malab. Um, whenever we rip with those two, seven guys, they used to say like, that's where they're coming from like pumping weapon systems through like from like Fallujah and shit 
It was like, so you got to watch that area. And I know that entire area was filled with sensors because we did a lot of sensor patrols. And I know a lot of that area was being like watched. So mm-hmm. I'm not too sure if like there was like a logistical cut in terms of like the city and what was being like brought into it. Um, and I also know like from like the, you know, from like first platoon's point of view. No, I think it was with second platoon at that time now. We were just overtly aggressive, dude. Like we did back-to-back raids in our districts and like we did not fucking let up at all whatsoever. And uh, it kind of kind of got us in trouble with the, like the local population because they're like, why are you met? Like, why are you kicking in my door at zero dark 30? And, you know, there's no like connects going on. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, no, I, like, it's a trip. It's a trip hearing Gronsky's point of view, then hearing these guys point of view and just fucking not seeing anything. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys have, you know, buddies that that were in different units and I, uh, one of my friends from high school, uh, he went to one six and his, while well, I was in Fallujah, he was in Ramadi. And, uh, to him, it was like, and I, I told him about it. Like when I was coming back, I was like, I was like, dude, like it, I struggled to find our sense of purpose, honestly, because of like how, I mean, obviously the SV bit at, uh, um, you know, at the very end. Um, but I was like, you know, swapping stories between Fallujah and Ramadi and like, you know, he, he gave me maps. He gave me, like, every freaking piece of intel he could ever find. I was like, dude, like, it's like it is night and day um, to know what the tempo of the city was and what it is now. And, like, same thing that Paulie was uh, getting at earlier. Like, you're looking at entire sides of buildings that are just full of 50 cal holes and, uh, you know, that are that have already been bombed out from, like, you know, air from airstrikes. And, you know, it looks like the apocalypse just happened here. Yeah. And For people real. are still, and people are still like going to like open up their, you know, bodega shop or whatever. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, like yeah, this is life. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, it, you know. Um, so that that was uh, again, like I don't, I'm trying to just wrap up my little intro, but uh, so a- after that, like, and again, it's, it, it, I think it's tough worse for you guys because like there's, you know, you get displaced. Uh, I don't know if you felt that way or not. Uh, I definitely did. Um, and I was just like, I'm basically doing a gunny's job of worrying about like beans, bullets, and band-aids. Um, and it was like me and, uh, what was it? Nick Fru, you know, like we're basically just kind of like his liaison to, to doing that. And, you know, yeah, you're, yeah, you're going on convoys every day, but it's, you know, combat is not the, uh, is not your orientation. And you're just thinking like, you know, Hey, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll give it the, the time that I have left and, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll give this college thing a try. Uh, so I was like kind of dead set on uh, on getting out and um, start my next chapter, um, and uh, you know obviously like you know can't, but I I think you know whether it was happenstance or good luck or whatever it was, but um, I got back with enough time left on my initial contract where I was able to to do the work up with you guys going going to AP Hill, still going to CAX and everything and. It wasn't so much that because they they even asked like you know I gonna realize I gonna extend like whatever I was like if we go and I remember like I actually uh, I had a um, I had a beer with Lieutenant Wendy definitely uh, off the books because uh, I want an honest answer so I, I went to him and uh, he even said he's like from what I know now and from like all our meetings and everything he's like it looks like it's gonna be another Ramadi um, tempo deployment uh, he's like like they're looking at where they're gonna send us but it's gonna be mission is probably going to be more similar to that. All right. You know, so I, I just wanted an honest answer. I didn't want, you know, a freaking, I, I didn't want them dangling the carrot for me just to, 
because they needed an extra body on the roster. So um, I was like, all right, I'm dead set on getting out. And I'm sure you guys remember uh, Battalion Commander um, bringing everybody together. Hey, like putting his cell phone in his pocket saying, I just got off the phone with whoever from, you know, from command. We're all going to Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, do you know, do you want to know why? From what I, I remember is because the way we ran, rained 400. Um, okay. I, I think it was a couple of the ranges the coyotes like reported back. And I think command knew at the time that was coming down the pipe and they were like, they were like um, checking, you know, or, or using CACs as like the pre-screening to who the fuck's ready. And honestly, that is one thing that I, I am uh, grateful for in the, in the Ramadi deployment with it being non-kinetic, but being in country and all the shit like that we learned still learn on patrolling and communicating you know that fucking helped us big time and um but yeah at cax we ran like the 410a and 400 and the coyotes like reported back and that's what made us get slotted for for the the push in there from what i heard anyway um once they no, green I... once they green lit it they were like yep let them know they're they're fucking going and so uh, yeah and uh I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure Jose was, he had the exact same reaction. I'd, I actually didn't know about um, the Coyotes kind of giving us the, um, you know, that, that report card and saying like, that if, you're yeah. gonna use, if you're going to use somebody, you should use, you know, two eight. Um, so that would. Well, and I don't know what I it no, was. I, no I, I, I didn't know what it was at the time, but I know once after the, um, after the fucking Ramani deployment, they broke it back down into the, uh, three platoons and a weapons platoon, I think because they, they kind of reconsidered that. And I mean, you guys remember Fox weapons platoon was pretty, pretty good to go. And uh, I I think it was the way that we had integrated like the machine guns, assault men and everything on those ranges. Cause those are combined arms, you know, mortars dropping and and you got machine gun Hill and fucking assault hitting the the fake tanks, BMPs out there. I think that's how, not that I'm not trying to take credit, but the way we work together as a company and like platoons and as a unit, that's what they're like. All right. If they're going into Afghanistan, this is going to be kind of what they're looking at doing. Um, you know, not Mount town door to door shit there. And they're like, these guys got it. Like they got it together, which is really kind of crazy. Cause we didn't, you know, we had that whole reminded deployment where we didn't utilize a weapon system like that. And uh, so, yeah, but that's, that's the word I got on on that. So. Oh, I'm 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 glad you told me. I I had no idea. I mean, we're talking what now? 10, Twelve years later. Yeah, you're like, why did they pick I, us? But no, yeah, it's like I I just thought it was like I don't know, like. <laughs> you know, Dude, and one and one thing too, not to keep cutting in, but I remember my dad told me after you know after I got out, he was like, man, I remember watching you guys because because in the Ramadi deployment, I mean, there was a lot of us boot new guys there and. My dad was like, man, when you guys were, were leaving to get on the buses, I just remember thinking, damn, these are just a bunch of fucking kids. Like he said, but when we left for Afghanistan, he was like, he said it kind of gave him chills. He's like, holy shit, these fuckers look mean. Like they're like, they're pissed <laughs> off and ready, like ready. So <laughs> yeah, hell hath no fury, like an infantry uh, teenager or 20 something that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that really just wants to be unleashed. Yeah, for uh, sure. That's. Yeah, and that's uh, I mean, like, and I consider myself uh, and it, again, like I was actually making some notes after I was reading your questions that you sent me. Um, 
you know, one of my regrets, I think, was uh, um, I was in the mindset of, like, all right, I'll stick around, like, and I was, like, Captain Daz's chauffeur or whatever, like, for almost a CAX, and they were basically just, like, finding stuff for me to do. Um, they're like, well, you know, we got an extra body, you know, you'll friggin', you'll drive the Humvee, you'll, you'll do something. Um, so uh, I was already in the mindset of, like, all right, my time will eventually come, and then I'll I'll be at I'll EAS uh, before you guys even go off to what a time I thought was going to be another uh, another Iraq deployment. Um, so I was uh, uh, if the if the dogs bug you, just tell me so I don't, I don't want them. Uh, no, you're good, man. In the background, all right. No, uh, but uh, you know, throughout that whole time, I was in that mindset of like, all right, I'm not going to build any relationships with anybody because it's going to end in you know eight nine months, whatever whatever time I had left. Um, so I didn't like self alienate, but like, it wasn't like, you know, you know, we were all crushing forties on the, you know, on the catwalk together, um, right after, um, so literally like right after the, uh, the, uh, the BC says, all right, I just got the phone call. This is what, this is what we're going to do. Went right to the, uh, the career retention specialist. I have no idea what his name is. Um, literally said extension paperwork, just make it blank. I'll sign it, you know, um, just as long as I can, I can stay with, uh, with the team. And uh, so I was like, all right. Uh, you, and for something like that, you needed every chain of command approval from platoon level up. So I had to go to Staff Sergeant Hawks, Lieutenant Wendy. I uh, had to go to the CO. Uh, well, Lieutenant Wendy brought it to the CO. Uh, but like, it basically has to go like from you sign it, and then everybody else in the chain of command signs it. So like, all right, so that's it. Uh, and Wendy literally, he's looking at it. He's like, it's what you want, right? I'm like, just sign the fucking thing, please. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so, um, yeah, so, and I remember, uh, um, oh, my God, Bobby Kang, um, after he <laughs> got back. Yeah, right. I, I've never mentioned his name without somebody just going, like, oh, man, that kid. Like, yeah. you know, like, talk about anomaly. If you guys can track him down and, like, find a way to interview him, like, I'll give you a job as, you know, with our future of unit. You know, <laughs> like, he, he has legit fallen off the grid. Has um, he really? You know, yeah, I can't find I, him anywhere. Dude, yeah. that fucker, I remember he was always good to go, dude, but I remember he lost it in Ramadi or something, and he was, like, walking in one of the shower trailers with a fucking knife, like, air knife fight, and, like, Herrera would do outside <laughs> the barracks and shit, dude. Like, but he was, like, mad. I don't know what happened to him, but he was wigging. I'm like, damn, you good, bro. Fuck. Dude, he, oh, my God. He, uh, I mean, just, just like, a, a little caveat but he um i remember one time he was leaving he was leaving the barracks or something it was like him and uh it was him and uh and not i think it was just him um and i was like hey bob what's going on brother and he's like oh no just just heading off uh just gonna do some fishing and i was like bobby you don't have a fishing rod <laughs> he's like and then he like kind of like gave like that you know freudian slip of uh you know, like looking down like at his um at his belt or whatever and he's got a, a Bowie knife or he's got something, uh, whether it's a tracker knife or whatever. I'm like, this Laotian savage is going <laughs> to wade in like the Carolina weeds and just wait for a fish to get close enough. And and he's going to fish with a knife. Yeah. And he came back with, I think, two. I, 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 it was definitely more than one. So at least two. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, yeah, he's a savage. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So like, <laughs> and I'm kind of glad that that we start talking about that. And like everybody, and he's he's very well well respected amongst his peers and his superiors too. Yeah. So I always held him in a very, uh, um, you know, I always held him in that uh, in that that manner. So um, we were always, I think it was like something like it was definitely a Friday or Saturday night, and uh, somebody had the grill going um, on the catwalk and. You know, it's whatever. Like it's, you know, I think I came back from the gym. Everybody was already out, kind of like, you know, cooking burgers and, you know, and crushing beers and everything. I'm like, all right, you know, me being the scumbag I am, I, I always kept forties in my, uh, <laughs> in, in my fridge, you know, like with all these like good old boys from, uh, you know, from the south and Midwest and everything. They're like, man, what's that? I'm like, hey, this, this is the greatest invention known to man because you guys are pissing away like 15 bucks on 12 beers and like this is this cost me a dollar 29 at the, uh, <laughs> at, 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 at at the exchange and I got eight of them. <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, so I, I was definitely a scumbag. <laughs> um, still had the paper bag on too. Um, but uh, so grabbed one, came out, and um, just shooting the shit with like you know Chesney and you know whoever else was there. But Bobby was there, and uh, I remember like sat down like, hey, you know what's what's good, dude? How you doing? And he was like, shoot. I got, and like it was one of those like everybody else that was around us like that was it, it was it wasn't white noise. It was like everybody just might as well shut the fuck up because I had no idea what the what they were saying. He looked at me. He's like, I am so glad. I was so glad to hear that you're going to be coming with us. And it was one of those ones where it's like, do not fucking cry in front of Bobby Kang. He's going <laughs> to murk you on the spot. Um, but it was, and like having, you know, like knowing that and knowing that someone like him appreciate the fact that I want to, to stay on board. I want to stay with the tribe. Um, that's, I was like, all right, now I think all these years later, um, this is, what my role is going to be, you know, like what 15 years old, September 11th just happened. I had no idea what my contribution was going to be. Now that Bobby kind of put things into context, whether he meant to or not, uh, I was like, all right, this is going to be, um, yeah, this is going to be what I was intended for. Um, and obviously the rest is history because uh, you guys were, I don't, I don't have to explain what, what happened after that, but uh, I will say um, being a fire team leader, that was like, to me, like that was the ideal uh, position to be in because it's like that's your tightest unit um that's who that's how you can take care of everybody the most because like you are you know you're there linked to the rest of the chain of command and or you're there linked to other resources so um i was always you know big on being a fire team leader um but i also had people in my fire team i had, didn't have to worry about you know you know whether it was fucking josie or doc or anybody like it was just an easy job because you guys are all shit hot um and uh, then when Grubbs got sent on the medevac after, I think it was his third concussion or whatever. Was it three? Is that the magic number? I don't, I don't yeah, know. So. I, I know a little bit about that. And I had, I mean, I wasn't in, obviously in y'all's platoon, you know, you, I'm sure you could, you could spitball about this for hours, but I do remember we did, we ran up from Masood and, and saw him up at uh fuck where are we going delhi or somewhere where we where we went back to we only did like one or two mobile runs from masood because it was fucking way down there and just sketchy to drive that road but i remember seeing him after he got medevaced out of there and well i don't want to go into respect or anything things but about him specifically but i remember seeing him up there and he just came up and was like chipper as fuck dude like talking to us and i had realized that he had just 
left and been pulled out of there. And I know this was after the Vincent thing and everything um, and that patrol. But I was just like, after that happened and I saw him and I know he left, he went home like he, he went home like midway through the deployment. Right. Or he left country early. Right. He could have, I'm not, I'm honestly like to, it, I, 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 li- I didn't, I didn't really ask too much about it. I didn't ask uh, Lieutenant yeah. Wendy or, uh, or Hawk Dog about him too much. Cause no, I think, know. I think everybody realized he didn't need to be where he was at. Uh, I mean, a- anymore at that point, but I just remember like he, he came up to us, our mobile convoy and it was all dudes from third that were, that were up yeah. there. And he was yeah. just like, so happy. And I'm just like, dog, like, like I knew what happened. I wasn't up, up there with you guys, but I knew what happened. And I'm like, you just yeah. fucking like left, like your squad's down there still. And you're up here, like trying to bullshit all happy. I'm like, yeah, man, that ain't, that ain't right. But so he, so he, he got medevaced out and then you, yeah. and, and then, then you, uh, I, it was not a, not a second wasted, um, you know, Lieutenant Wendy and, uh, and, uh, Sergeant Hawk, our staff Sergeant Hawks, uh, pulled me aside and said, Hey, Hey, Shu, it's uh, it's your show now, and uh, and I, I'm pretty sure my heart sank all the way to the back, you know, to the down, um, to the bottom of my spine, and I'm just thinking to myself like, fuck, like I have no, um, was it Islick? I have no Islick background, all right. I like, you know, I know what I have from experience, but like formal training, fucking like, I was like, all right, let's fucking roll with it, um, and. Uh, yeah, like, and they said, you know, they were great about it. They were like, any, if you find anything is like overwhelming, or if you're, if there's stuff you need to know, like, uh, use this as a resource. Especially Hawk, uh, he was always, I mean, he, he was there no matter what. It didn't matter what your rank was, he was always there for you. Didn't even matter if you know you were in his platoon or not, and you needed him, he he would always be there. Um, so I was fortunate uh, to have that kept um, to fall back on, but obviously, like my my sinful pride wouldn't let me, um, or like. You know, didn't think you know if you ha- if you have to ask for help, like you shouldn't be in that position. I think it's just a very, um, you really can't learn or grow well with that kind of mentality. But again, like I, it was one of those like moments where it's like, all right, fuck it, like we guys, let's see if this works. Um, and you know, again, like might have been happenstance, might have been fate, might have been whatever. But I had between Josie and uh, and Shrek. Um, did we have three fire teams, Josie, or just basically just you two? Yeah, we did. We had it was uh, me, you, Colwell, yeah. Shrek, Zimmerman, yeah. Morgan, Jacquees, and then Dabo ended up fucking yeah. doing double patrols. Yeah. Oh man. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of savages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, Josie, you pronounce it wrong. It's the Dabo. So, yeah, the Dabo. Last, <laughs> I was telling Paul last thing with Dabo, we ended up fighting like half of LA. <laughs> oh my god! I, I I legit thought of like someone is gonna die tonight, and I I, I don't only get um. Do, do you remember this? Like I'm sure Paul, you've heard the story, right? I don't I don't know if I go ahead and run with it. All right, so fucking I mean, uh, rest in peace, uh, Kohler. Um, had his uh, had his funeral ceremony um, in Orange County, so uh, you know, like it was, you know, we went there and like you know, we went to the uh, the after uh, gathering, like you know, met his family, met his friends from you know from his home and everything. I can't remember which town it was. I just know it was Orange County. Um, so Locke, being uh, 
you know, it, I will say one thing about Locke, like logistically, like he is squared away. Like when it comes to traveling, he set up the Airbnb. He knew yeah, where yeah. we were going to go. He's like, we're going to dinner here. We're going to get drinks after this. Like, and he just, he knew the lay of everything. And like the rest of us are like, all right, you wrote the itinerary. We'll just tag along. So um, I do remember Dabo, uh, sorry, the Dabo. I'll haze myself later. Uh, he, uh, he was still contracting, right, Josie? Yeah. So uh, um, he was flying in from Baghdad, I think, like directly to LAX. <laughs> So, literally, cha- changed from whatever the fuck he was wearing, you know, be- working for a Blackwater Triple Canopy or whoever, got into a three-piece tux because he thought that, like, he was like, fuck it, I already bought it, I'm wearing it. <laughs> um, and then, like, went to dinner, like, we all checked in the Airbnb and, like, everything was cool. It was actually a pretty cool setup, like, despite the fact there's six dudes or, you know, in this, in this thing. Um, Colwell had the smart idea. He, he, him and Josie uh, stayed with your sister, right? Yeah, yeah. Twenty twenty hindsight, that was that was the right way to go. <laughs> but uh, so so Dabo like basically meets us there, gets changed, and um, maybe he was already changed. I don't fucking know. But like he shows up wearing a three piece suit. Like this guy is looking like, you know, like he's coming from a, a GQ photo shoot, right? Yeah. And uh, he um yeah so like uh, you know like and Dabo like doesn't drink because he knows how he gets when he does drink. Um, so he was basically I think he like. You order like a rum or something, like a rum meat, like a, like a nice. This was like a nice bar. It was like a nice uh, LA bar. Um, I think we were in Hollywood, actually. Um, it, it was like a, a French. It was like a, it was like a soft strip club. Yeah, oh, was like, it? They, they had like it wasn't like bur- <laughs> it wasn't like burlesque dancers, but it was like you know like they did like the aerial, um, you know, with uh, is it acrobatics or like whatever, but like basically like, the girl like she like. Yeah, like comes down from the rafters and like you know, Moulin Rouge with yeah, the fucking exactly. rope or the lace rope or whatever. Yeah, ex- ex- exactly. Still, yeah, all all of us fell in love with her. Yeah. 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 Oh man. Oh yeah, dude. She she would have been. She would have made a great ex-wife. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So like, and like, obviously, like Locke picked this place. Like, it's so it's you know, I think they kind of gave me a little bit of pushback at the door because like I had like you could wear a t-shirt, but they just didn't want anything printed on it. So uh, the guy was like, "Yeah, man, you're supposed to be like, it's, it's fine." So, um, so I was uh, hold up real quick. Yeah, uh, L.A. culture, bro. I cannot stand it. <laughs> so we went to this fusion bar, and there was this like group of people, and I guess the thing was, um, the 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 trend of the day was wearing like sweatsuits, like yeah. like sweatpants. Yeah. And I'm not lying to you; these people had left the the restaurant, gone to the same bar. They were allowed in looking like, like they had just woken up from, you know, what? a nap or something in sweats. Yeah. And then they ended up like stopping us at the doorway because of this guy's shirt. <laughs> it, and it wasn't even like it, it had words on it. It was just like, I think it was like a, oh, it was a, it was a zero Foxtrot shirt. It just had like the skull with like the American flag on the sleeve. Like that, right. that was really it. Um, but, uh, oh, just to put it in context, Polly, like, uh, you ever see the Big Lebowski? Yeah. So the dude, he was at that bar. Like, that's how <laughs> that's how people dress. And they were still like, you know, like, oh, but he's wearing like, you know, a Gucci robe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm <laughs> um, like, you know, like, oh, we're like, for real? <laughs> but whatever. But like, so that was the one caveat. So like, obviously, like, we're in a fucking very well-established place um, with the entertainment, the drinks and everything. So like, and there's what, probably six of us, Josie. You and me, Coldwell, Dabo, um, Locke, Zim, 
Oh, yeah, five or six. Anyway, so like everyone's buying rounds, everyone's putting stuff on each other's tabs, and Chesney you know, and McChesney. Oh, McChesney. Oh, sorry, Brock. Um, but yeah, che- Cheesy was there too, and uh, so like somewhere throughout the night, Davos three-piece suit starts coming off, one piece at a time, and different women around the bar are wearing it. <laughs> And uh, because Dava went, yeah, let me get, a, yeah, let me get a rum, and then he had a second one, and then like obviously like that opened the the floodgates, and yeah, so he's walking around fucking shirtless, and they were giving me shit for the t-shirt I was wearing, so uh, and obviously like, and these are like you know it's like Hollywood bouncers, so, like they're all big dudes, but this, as we all know, this is a double. If there was one right. person that you you can like uh, emphatically say was built for combat, it's this guy. Um, so uh, there's like they went to go they went to like go approach him like hey dude put your shirt back on he's kind of like I think Locke stopped them uh, because they're like hey man he's got to put your shirt back on I was like all right I will go speak to him because he knows me if you guys go speak to him someone's going to be missing some teeth right <laughs> yeah. I don't there's four of you so it's gonna be maybe one or two but like let, let me go ahead and talk to him so he puts <clears> the shirt <throat> back on a little bit still unbuttoned whatever. And uh, goes back to the exact same thing. I don't know how many times the, the security actually had to come up to lock to tell him about that. He's just like, and I eventually got to the point where they're like, dude, you, you guys got to go. Like, you got to <laughs> set up your tab. And uh, shout out to, to uh, Brock for, uh, for, gra- for settling up my tab and grab my credit card or else we had to come, go back <laughs> the next day. That would have been fun. So they're like, look, dude, he, he's got to go. And like, uh, so Calvin's trying to like coax him towards the door. Um, I don't even know if we got most of his suit back. There's probably a couple of girls still wearing it. Um, but uh, so it got to a point to where they were like, Dabo's like slowly egressing out of it. And uh, but like it just one one of the guys said something or maybe he went to go like put his hands on it. And Dabo just like, don't you fucking touch me, motherfucker. <laughs> um, and like I could see the terror in this bouncer's eyes. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure he shit himself just a little bit. Like, because when Dabo tells you don't fucking touch me, like, you, you might as, like, you want to cut your own hand off. Uh, and, like, so, that, and that, like, he just started seeing red. And we're all like, all right. Like, you know, Calvin and everybody, like, they just, like, start shoving all of the rest of the group out. So we were kind of, like, spilling on to, like, Hollywood Boulevard um, to where Dabo attempts to fight literally anyone on the street. Um, this is like a Friday or Saturday night in, in Hollywood. Um, so he's streaming at Uber drivers, like yeah, everything. I'm just like, and I was like, Hey, Mo, like, look at me for a second, dude. Like I'm trying to like, you know, reel him, reel him in a little bit. And he's just like, I was like, look, Mo, you dude, you got, you got to like get, you got to work me a little bit here. And he's just like, and like, he, like, he still had that fucking <laughs> thousand yards there, like right through, but it was like as intense as you can get. And he's saying, uh, and I was just like, it was like, Dabo, please don't hit me. <laughs> like, he's just, and he was like, I'm not, he's, he's screaming, he's like, I'm not going to hit you. But he looks over my shoulder and sees like an Uber driver. Like, I don't know, like somebody just like waiting by the car. He's like, I'm going to fuck you up though. And that guy got his, he got, he couldn't have gotten his car faster and sped off. Um, and so like, yeah, uh, got in the Uber somehow. We thought it was going to different Dabo to sit in the front seat, <laughs> making the exact same stare at that Uber driver. So whoever, whoever's that was, your rating's going down like by half at least. <laughs> Um, and like got him back, he passed out. He was up and gone before anybody else in the Airbnb was done. He was like, All right, hey, like, send everybody a separate text, They're like, good to see you guys, you know, be safe, safe travels back, you know, <laughs> like, uh, hit me up on Instagram or whatever. I'm like, All right, well, this was this is just quintessential. Like, it doesn't matter how quote unquote grown up we all become, uh, you put enough personalities that know enough about each other, like, in the in a, 
you know, in a situation right. like that, it, it's something is going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. Something's going to happen. So that <laughs> yeah. was, uh, yeah. So thus ended the story of, um, <laughs> of Davo trying to fight all of Hollywood. So, yeah, I think what, I think what, um, what brought that up is you guys were running through who your, the squad and teams were in Afghanistan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah but, so I think I basically had to split and Josie, correct me if I'm wrong though. No, yeah. Oh, go ahead. All right. Um, Jay, for a moment, but I basically had – I was running with two fire teams, or at least two fire team leaders. Um, it was Josie and, and Shrek. All right. Josie, I can count on him for anything. Uh, the kid was like – and this is not me blowing smoke because you had me on here. Um, I put you guys both in for, um, for commendations uh, because I wouldn't have had any success whatsoever if I didn't have you and Shrek uh, to fall back on. Um, between what you guys knew about uh, the radios, um, you know, Shrek came from Fast Company, so like basically you put a weapon in his hand, he can keyhole any any shot group, um, you know, and like I never really looked at our squad for some reason as an echelon. Um, it was basically just like, all right, that's third squad. Like you guys are just we're just one kind of synchronized, not maybe not synchronized, but we are still bastard kids and in some facet, but like. It, I never really had to like structure it that way. It was basically just like it got to the point to where like the only contribution I was making was like, all right, I felt the mission card and make sure everybody has what they need. Like, <laughs> like I, it the 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 show just kind of ran itself because you guys were so um, just so good at what you did and professional about what you did, minus all the uh, all the antics. Um, and uh, and that's that's where I learned a lot about. I think leadership is a lot more personality driven than training driven. And like you can do corporal's course and you know and squad and do islic and everything else and like have all these skills, but when it comes down to uh, and I think um, a lot of the weapons uh, NCOs, um, this is what I kind of like covertly learned from them, was that like you know whether it was Papa G or uh, Polly, help me out. Who was the thirty-one section leader? Um, uh, Holton. Holton, yeah. So uh, watching them interact with their guys and uh, and kind of cherry picking from like and like i never asked them a single thing again it's one of the things i always regret was never picking you know the brains of uh of the people that you're you know covertly learning from um but just seeing like you know it's basically just you're you're there to advise and you're there to you know you're obviously there to give commands and you know and still effectively lead them in and out of combat but you know it, you don't it doesn't really have to be a, a top-down approach it's like i you're you're a grown-ass man who signed the exact same oath that i did so I will treat you as such, you know, if you fuck up, you got to get an ass chewing, like this stuff happens. But, you know, I never thought that like having an environment like that was really conducive to any kind of success. And, um, you know, like whether it's, I don't care what, what job or what field you're in, but I learned a lot about myself um, through that. And I don't know, like I just, I never, I never thought I would have the opportunity to do it, but I always kind of like in the back of my head was like, all right, if you do, um, this is how you're going to do it. Like, I mean, like as far as like hazing, put your hands on somebody, making them stand at parade rest. Uh, it's, it just, and I, I'm, I'm sure Elijah touched on it too with, uh, with his podcast. It's more of like, that's what a, a, a weak or some, someone who's mentally weak or not confident in their own ability as a leader. That's, that's the, that's the approach they take. Um, yeah. It's, I think that respect is, uh, is always earned and never given. And I spent whatever remaining months that we had trying to earn, every last one of your guys' respect. 
uh, I mean, still to this day, uh, I think I, I think I'm still trying to do that. But that was, uh, yeah. So of all the shit that happened on that, um, on that deployment, I think that uh, I learned the most about myself. I learned the most about you guys. And uh, and like, yeah, for whatever happenstance of fate or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, I would not look back at my time uh, in the Marine Corps, the short five, no, four years, 10 months it was, um, I would not, uh, I would have a totally different outlook, I think. Um, and I think that I learned so much, not only from like what we were doing, but I learned so much from each, each of you. Um, yeah, it's, again, it's just one of those things, like I know you guys have, um, you know, you guys have lieutenant colonels and generals and everybody that can, you know, that knows what real, uh, you know, large unit leadership is, but just that kind of like intimacy of like you guys teaching me a lot um, about A, myself, about B, yourselves and telling me your story. And it was just something that I'll, I'll, I'll always treasure. And, uh, and I'll, again, this is not blowing smoke or anything just because, you know, I'm on here. But, you know, I, I still look back at, uh, you know, that, you know, those few months and just saying like, you know what, I probably wouldn't even be the same person I was if I wasn't, you know, kind of like thrown into the deep end. Um, you know, it's like, just see, see if he swims. Um, you know, just like I said, like medevac grubs. And, you know, from then it was like, I kind of like, I had to, I hit the ground running. And like, I was just hoping like, you know, I mean, obviously like it's, you're gonna come across different challenges no matter what your job is. But for me, it's like, well, now I went, I went from being responsible for four people, myself and three in the fire team. Now I'm in, and like some of those, some of those foot patrols had 30 plus in them with attachments and ring con and, you know, trying to like take out the CEO or like whatever, like, yeah, I'm looking at this like Michigan going like, I'm, this is a fucking platoon size element almost like, you know, it was just something I never saw myself doing, but I don't think I would, uh, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world as scared shitless as I was, you know, when, uh, when I was thrown into it. Yeah. There's something interesting about that. Um, <clears throat> like you were saying, as far as like the, the kind of person, personal development you experience in those situations where you know maybe if you had not ever been put in that situation would you have developed differently as a person um and i think to be able to look back and reflect on like situations like that that you go through and really appreciate them for what they were and appreciate the things you learned and you know that that truly is is what growth is you know um Obviously, I don't feel like you would have been put in that position if people didn't already trust you and kind of maybe see those things in you that you maybe didn't see for yourself. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you there. You, you never know what it's funny, too, because people that don't understand what combat is like um, and me and Herrera have talked about some things kind of off mic just about how certain may certain individuals you know you wouldn't think they would do so good but they fucking shine like beyond expectation you know people can talk about a situation like combat or what they would do here what they would do here but you don't really know until you're facing it um and you know obviously a reason why we wanted to bring you on here is just because i i see you i don't haven't really talked to you at all but i i see you i follow you on social media try to you know keep not keep tabs on you but check into how you're doing and you fucking look like you're you're just enjoying life and doing great and 
to know kind of what you your story was during the time we served together and shit and seeing you just getting after life still that's what i like to see and hear about and that's that's why i you know i wanted just to hear your full story because obviously you're still like many of us deeply attached to that experience and that time in your life um but it it's obviously made you a successful individual and you know uh, still grateful and prideful to your country and uh it's just awesome hearing that shit you know um something i think maybe we could go into now is what how your time has been after leaving service kind of what happened for you there um you know directly after you left and then you know where how you're doing now what what you're up to yeah i like the bubblies man yeah bubbly's good i dude i mainly just drink water and fucking seltzer and and well and coffee hey, shoot, what do you drink coffee, pure fucking guinness? coffee and beer uh, too <laughs> hey, pure, hey, pure hey, guinness embrace your stereotypes because we all know that's all you really have all right. uh, so this shit has oh like, my god so i i use it as pre-workout <laughs> most of the time but like Pre- i was yeah um so like and anything bang related is like i know it's probably it's probably fucking terrible for you dude like, do they sell do they sell um rippets up anywhere near you guys i've they sell rippets in the oh, fucking yeah. gas station the, dude the mother oh yeah like the, the 40 size ones yeah yeah the dollar general <laughs> store that's the only place i've ever seen that like and i was like i paid a fucking buck for that <laughs> like, but like seeing something like that is just like people like this is a I thought it was just like a government contracted energy. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Like you will strictly sell to you guys. I'm like, people pay for this shit. <laughs> like, dude, most of the time I see those tall cans are like 99 cents. I'm like, what? yeah. Yeah. That's a fuck. Yeah. Fuck that. That. That, that. That's a little too much for my taste, just knowing what they are. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, God. And that's, that's all you really can do. Like, I've only seen them at uh, up here. We have the, uh, the Dollar General, which is like, right. Your run of the middle dollar store. It's the only place I've ever seen them. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so dude no before the break uh i'm just gonna say if you want to go into um kind of just after you after you left what you did and where you're at now and kind of some of the things yeah. you've gone through uh one of the uh the, it's from uh from easing and everything and like kind of you know it's it's a weird time because it's transition uh, not because of the transition itself but like i think that individually you can set yourself up uh for success afterwards um there are some guys who are literally just like, you know, or girls that are just, you know, they just want to EAS, they just want to figure it out afterwards, you know. Um, you know, it's, it's basically, it's just person dependent. So there's really no cookie cutter way to, I think, go about it. Um, I was a little fortunate because uh, one of my buddies who was in Ramadi 1-6, the same, uh, same kid, he, uh, he was working for like a security company that um, he basically just said, uh, um, you know, he's like, hey, you know, I can, I can get you a, a corporate security gig, uh, you know, nine, you know, nine to five, Monday through Friday. Like, you know, it's, it's yours if you want it. Um, so I was like, well, it's going to save me a lot of hassle having to like do interviews and stuff. Um, so uh, he set me up with that. Um, and, uh, you know, so like I, I did all my VA um, comp and pen examinations and everything in the meantime before I actually started working. And uh, so that's one thing I'll, I'll always say that like, yeah, you have to stay on top of stuff like that, especially, you know, now that we're kind of getting, a little down the road with, uh, and I know we're all, we're all broke bodies in some way, but you know, you, you, you gotta stay on top of something like that. Um, cause no one's going to do it for you. But, uh, so as far as my transition went, I went straight from, you know, it was, uh, I mean, shit dude, like we were home. When did we get home? November. 
of 09? I think, yes. No, yeah, so I don't remember the day exactly, but I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm thinking the time frame. November 18th. November okay. 18th. Yeah, yeah, okay. right, yeah, right before Thanksgiving. So, so in November, uh, came home um, after the leave block or whatever. I did steps and taps. Got out. Like I said, by that point, uh, my buddy had already kind of offered me that job, and um, I was like, all right, cool. So like by I think February, around around time February 2010, I was getting out. And I was like, all right, job's taken care of. I just got to worry about, the, you know, finding a place and, uh, you know, and just start, you know, start the journey, uh, or start the next chapter from there. And, you know, I, uh, um, I think that I, I may have thought that it was going to be, oh, yeah, it's just, you're done with this. And now you're done with this chapter and you start the next one. Um, I went straight to the corporate environment, um, which it wasn't quite Wolf of Wall Street, but it was, uh, it was those types of people. Um, coming straight from Helen Province, Afghanistan, to that. Right. Again, like you know, it's it's basically like, uh, I mean, not not to not to talk shit on any job, but I was pretty much a glorified receptionist. Like every now and again, I would have to watch the uh, the CEO's like house or whatever, because uh, he didn't want people fucking around with it while he was in Martha's Vineyard. But um, you know, it uh, <laughs> right, yeah, third world problems right there. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so like, but it's just like the amount of. The, the team I worked with, like a couple of couple of vets on that too, like uh, um, reservist uh, Marine Corps vets, and like they they were good to go. I, I liked everybody I worked with, but the people that I worked for, I'm not gonna say the name of the company, but it, just the way they treated you, like it, they talk, everybody talks down to you. Everybody, uh, you know, everybody's got more important shit to do than like what you're having them do. Like, and basically all they were doing was just like kind of like checking in with me, and I was just sending where they need to go, but. Um, everybody's always in a rush and you're taking up their time. And like, it's like, it, it was more toxic for me to be in that environment because guess what? In corporate America, you can't choke somebody out. All right. Or it's frowned upon. If you like knock someone's <laughs> friggin', if you knock someone's two front teeth out because they're being a condescending prick to you. Um, it's a little frowned upon. Uh, but, uh, so I did a, just under a year of that. And I even told my buddy, I was like, dude, like, like, don't get me wrong, like, good money, good hours, everything, like, it's just, this place is gonna fucking undo me real quick, and like, like yeah. I totally get it, and uh, I think that was when I was, uh, I was kind of talking to my uncle a little bit, he works, or he just retired from UMass Boston up here, for, um, he, he told me as soon as I got home, he's like, alright, so you want me to set you up with a VA rep, uh, we got, they actually have a VA director at the school, uh, Gus Silva, he's, he's great as far as the resource goes, and He's like, yeah, you know, you're a good friend. You know, if I want, I can set you up a meeting. I was like, eh, I, I think I'll do it on my own. You know, again, like, you know, that sinful pride to, to not um, not seek out help or not seek out resources and just, you know, you know, you're, be a self-sustaining individual. Um, also, a huge mistake was uh, was not doing that. Um, so uh, once I finally met with him, um, again, it's, and this took like a year and a half to, to just get to that point because I wasn't thinking GI Bill. I wasn't thinking college i was just like i haven't been in a classroom in however many years like i don't even know what i would you know what my expectation would be if i can still do it um so and uh, you know you know th give me a weapon system give me an objective and you know a group of guys to do it you know and we'll you know we can retake mount iwo jima um but uh or sorry mount saribachi but like you know for this for whatever reason i was like uh, and the funny thing is like i don't know if you guys still talk to paulo uh marquez uh, he was going through something similar where, like, the classroom, for some reason, scares you. Um, or you just think that it's, like, it's not for you. Um, again, it's the wrong attitude to have. 
um, especially because up here it's money on the table, I think. And it's, it's a good way to learn and grow. Um, but uh, so that was my attitude going into it. So I, I got hooked up with Gus Silva. He's the, the VA rep. And he put me uh, he put me in contact with this uh, program called Veterans Upward Bound um, that's run strictly at UMass Boston. And it's if you call it like you literally just give me your DD-214. They pretty much take care of the rest. Uh, and it's a college prep course for people in your shoes. So there's a couple of OAF and OEF vets in there, too. There was also guys that were in the Gulf War, um, guys and girls in the Gulf War that were doing it. Um, and uh, that was a good kind of like reinter reintegration into the educational uh, into the scholastic world. Um, so after that, I started like, and I did well. For whatever reason, I did well. I realized that I, I liked writing, um, especially because, you know, we had a Vietnam um, Army vet as our English professor, uh, Dr. Caputo, and he encouraged you uh, to tell, you know, uh, to tell your story and about, he's like, if you want to write about something, it, he's like, it's just me reading it. I don't have to report it to anybody. He's like, you can tell me about your experiences, tell me about, you know, what, you, what you're going through. And this is somebody that, you know, um, you know, somebody that can relate um, in a different platform. And uh, so that, that was a huge uh, leg up for me. And I kind of just had that same chip on my shoulder. Like, you know what? I was never a good student. I was never... You know, I, I was pretty much like, you know, C's and D's get degrees. And uh, after that, I was just like, you know what, fuck this. I'm going to chain smoke um, classes all year long. I finished my, I finished with two bachelors in three years, um, you know, in communication, criminal justice. And it was all just kind of like a big fuck you to the, uh, the education system, you know, that, you know, that basically told me I was never going to be good enough. And, you know, and you, you're probably meant to be a, meant to be a grunt because you, you really don't have anything cut out for you besides besides that. Um, you know, it's like, and like I was, you know, I, I kind of took it as a, uh, as a slight against me. So like I've been graduated like a 3.97 GPA. And I, and the funny thing was, was like after like the initial like first day or like first semester or whatever, and you just realize that college really ain't that friggin' difficult. Um, if you have the, and again, like, you know, we all have our own internal ways of doing things, but if you have the discipline to study or to get your work done, like, and any one of us, like, has internal discipline like that, you can crush it. Like, I know guys that are getting, like, you know, PhDs, um, because they just, you know, I mean, shit. Locke's been in school ever since he got out, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, if you... I'm in the same boat, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, and that's what I think, is, like, I think we need more guys like that, or more girls, like, more military... Uh, prior military service people getting into the education world and getting like doing what you guys are doing, um, just kind of getting stories out there and finding out what's wrong with how it's been. And um, you know, I had this in my notes a little bit uh, that the I think you guys doing something like this and being in the, the world of education and actually putting some research and um, you know and uh, intellect into it, that's what's gonna keep. OIF and OEF vets, our generation, that's going to keep us from going down the same route that the returning Vietnam veterans uh, went through. Um, and obviously, it's it's a long road. It's tough, and like you know, and it's it, you're gonna, you're probably it's probably going to be an uphill battle for for both of you guys. Um, but I think it's it's the hard work that you're putting in now that's really going to make a difference for, like you said, like if, whenever we whenever that next big conflict is, you know, after that's over, like, you know, hopefully the work that you guys are putting in now 
um, in the world of education is going to is going to do is going to pay its own dividends um, for the next generation of warfighters out there. Um, but so, sorry about the tangent. Uh, yeah, so like uh, as far as uh, getting out and like that, that was a whole other experience for me. Like I had to find over time that you don't need much to be happy. Um, and it was actually uh, my ex. I won't I won't use names or anything, but uh, she was a mental health counselor. Uh, she had her own aspirations in life. Uh, she, I, I think Jose alluded to this a little bit when you guys' past conversations that she wanted to tell me what was wrong with me without even listening. She's like, okay, so you have PTSD. Because like, I wouldn't sleep for more than four or five hours at a time, tops. And it was very rarely in a bed. Um, and she's like, okay, so you have, you know, you have your nightmares, you know, you have trouble sleeping, um, you know, whatever it is, like, uh, like whatever other symptoms, like she was like gathering all this stuff and like telling me like, oh, you need to go talk to somebody, you need to go talk to somebody. And I'm like, yeah, I like, can you back it down just a second? Um, so I think that's like the biggest struggle that I had was like, everyone wants to tell you what's wrong with you without even asking a single question. Um, so, uh, Obviously, that relationship kind of failed, um, and I just kind of after that I was like, you know what? Um, for whatever reason, like I just thought like maybe interpersonal relationships are just not for me um, on the romantic level. So like that was the one thing I always kind of said like like I, up until last year, uh, I always uh, I always thought I made peace with the fact that I was going to be single the rest of my life and you know have a house full of dogs because you can't have cats and I'd be the I don't want to be the cat guy on the block. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, uh, I think that was, like, one of my biggest struggles um, was adjusting to that um, between, like I said, like, the workplace, uh, working in corporate America, there was friction there. Um, you know, I got out of, you know, I was going through school uh, while I was still with my ex, and, like, it just, professionally, like, it was going, school was going great. Uh, going to UMass Boston was going great. Um, but, uh, you know, her her and I just didn't connect uh, on that level probably because it's not that like I can't talk to anybody about it. Um, it's just, do I trust you enough to talk to you about it, you know, or to, to give you that kind of information? Like, and, and I, I never really think I had that with her and I never really thought that like it was possible to find with another person. Um, again, not, not the way to, to approach. Uh, that's not advice. That, that's just me saying that. Uh, you know, I, I had the wrong image of it, or I had the wrong uh, approach to it. So um, I think it was, uh, yeah, so I'm just going to kind of back, I'll push forward to, to where I'm at now. Um, it's weird, like we talk, obviously you guys talk at length about September 11th and how these huge national um, events kind of shape our, our framework of how we, you know, how we live or, and everything, but um, I don't know if you guys remember 2013, the uh, the Boston Marathon bombing. Um, that and like to me, like that was the exact same gut punch that 9/11 was, and it was my backyard. You know what I mean? Like it, this, like the fight has legitimately come home. Um, it's not it, like I know where this is. This isn't you know images of uh, you know uh, New York burning. Um, you know, it's, this isn't news images. This is like I I go down this street all the fucking time like I've been you know this is my home um so uh after so the the whole story with that was I was coming from a VA appointment like I said I was living with my ex at the time she lived 
um, about half an hour south of the city. I was coming from a VA appointment, and I just heard it on the radio. They, uh, they didn't even know what it was. So uh, this, whoever the DJ was on that day, and uh, he said, like, yeah, I think it's like a gas explosion or something happened to the marathon finish line. So, uh, and I just pulled in the parking spot, uh, my parking space, and I was like, all right, whatever, I'll go home and, you know, let the dog out and everything. And I just flipped on the TV, and every single station was, um, you know, IED attacks at uh, the, uh, the marathon finish line. And uh, again, like same same exact feeling you had as you know being a 15 year old freshman uh, hearing about 9/11 for the first time, and I was just like, "Fuck this!" Um, you know, jumped in the truck. So like again, don't know what don't know what my role is going to be, but I'm sure you could use an extra set of hands. Um, but a f- the situation developed to that point to where like state troopers were like blocking off highway exits. They basically wanted to kind of shut down um, mobile transportation in the metro Boston area. Um, so like, I think I actually, I tried going through back roads to get, um, to get to the site and everything. And I thought it, it was one, uh, it was one uh, cop out block on the road. I wish I got his name. And uh, he basically said, uh, he was like, I was like, you guys, like, is there anything that I can do? Like, can I just get there? And like, he saw my stickers and everything. And uh, oh no, he saw my tattoo. That, that was it. I don't even have any stickers on the truck, but he saw my tattoo. So he's like, look brother, like uh, I think he was, uh, I think he was an army uh, infantry vet or something. He's like, look, man, trust me. He's like, right before you showed up, uh, a bunch of FBI SUVs just, you know, just, just went into uh, to process the crime scene. So, like this thing, this whole thing is shut down. Like, he's like, mm-hmm. all the casualties now they're they're at the hospitals. People are giving blood. Like, he's like, he's like, there's like n- a can't let you through, and b no one's getting in here um, because um, the everybody's got to process that whole crime scene. Um, so. Again, one of those like weird feelings of uh, of, of helplessness, like yeah, well, fuck. Um, so after that, I started taking. Uh, I took probably every police exam I ever heard of, whether it's Baltimore or L.A. or right here. Uh, it just happened to work out that uh, I was hired here, and uh, again, it was just more of a uh, you know I don't want to be the one to to have this happen again and not be able to be in some kind of role to do something about it, um, and. Uh, yeah, so I guess fast forward to to now, um, where you know, again, like I don't need much. You know, I just I got my place. I got you know I got the I got the dogs, and uh, and to me like that's again it's it, it's it's not much, but the fact that it's mine and the fact that you know I'm still here, living, breathing, and you know aside from a few concussions and you know some tinnitus, you know all my all my digits are still working. Um, so. Uh, I really don't have much to complain about, um, and uh, and the funny thing is, like, when I do start going down that road a little bit, um, there's uh, one of the guys I work with. Um, I won't say his name, but he's a. Uh, the funny thing is, like, him and I were. I was new. That was my. I was a boot for the uh, the Fluge deployment. He was a senior guy in weapons. Um, I want to say he was on the. He wasn't a tow gunner, but he was basically mounted the entire deployment. Um, he uh, he had his leg blown off, um, basically from. Uh, um, from the quad down, and um, he and like the first, so I met him. We were partners together, and uh, I had no idea what the story was. Um, I, we had after talking after eight hours, you know, we realized that this, the world becomes a lot smaller, especially when you're a, when you're in the grunts, and uh, you know, started like learning about his story and and everything. Like he he took his prosthetic right off. He's like um, uh, he's like Davila. Like he, he is total. He's a total open book about everything. Like you know, and he'll make jokes about it and. 
it's you know to him it's like yeah this is this is who i am so i'm just like thinking to myself like again but like whether it's fate or happenstance or whatever it is but like if he's here doing the exact same job i'm doing you know down one leg like come on dude like how bad is your life <laughs> you know think about it that way um not to say that like and the, and the weird thing is, is that like i was even thinking about this um last couple of days that when it does kind of get overwhelmed, and like the thing is, is that like most of my uh, adjustment problems always come from, uh, I'm sure Josie knows what the actual technical term is, but uh, survivor's guilt. Um, you know, why am I here when uh, when Wayne isn't? Why am I here when Farrell isn't? Why am I here when Latour isn't? Um, and I've never had a suicidal thought in my entire life. Um, but after trying to process that internally, um, and again, like everybody kind of, everybody works through their own, um, you know, through their own thoughts and feelings in different way. But, uh, I can easily see how someone would, you know, that can kind of overwhelm you to the point to where you don't see, um, you don't see any al alternative. Um, uh, but, uh, and I don't know, I've had my moments and it's, I know I, I know I can talk to you guys about it. I don't know if you've had anything similar happen, but. Uh, the weird thing is, like, when I, and obviously physical fitness is huge with, with all of us, but when I'm trying to, like, um, kick my heart rate up or trying to, like, motivate myself to, like, you know, no, you got to burn this much, you got to, you know, you have to get your max heart rate to something, like, you find anything and everything to, to motivate you internally. And the one thing I always think about is, uh, is A, all of you guys and everything that you're doing and everything you, you have done for me. Um, and without without overtly um, trying to bring back those memories. It's like, you know, you just get, uh, what was I doing the other day? I was on the assault bike and, uh, you know, I was doing intervals. So I got to that last interval. I was like, all right, I need every single piece of internal motiv motivation because my legs are absolutely smoked. Um, and uh, I, I started seeing flashes of faces, you know, whether it was Farrell or Latour or, or Wayne, you know, Sharp, all, all these other people. Um, and uh, I was actually, uh, I was in the gym alone we were actually closed um so but the owner he's great he's like if you want to bring the dogs and if you want to do your workout when we're closed that's totally fine so i was like all right um and uh i just remember like everything just all all at once it was just like one flash of a face after another and uh i got off the bike and like i said my legs were fucking smoked so i hit the uh i hit the ground uh, pretty hard after that and uh i wish i could say it was like <laughs> you know i just i shed one like navajo tear and like just fucking continue to march, but nah, dude, I was uh, I was fucking howling, uh, um, just thinking about every guy that's you know that sacrificed everything so that you and I could come home, um, and like you know I I get to that point and um, like you know like I said I was just basically a shrimp on the floor, and it's weird things that that pull you out of it. Um, I'm sure if if maybe if it went different, maybe if I was alone, like I might have given you guys a call, or I might have given somebody a call. Um, but uh, I felt uh, I felt this, uh, I felt a wet nose on the back of my neck, and I felt like pressure coming from uh, the right side of my ribs. So the one the one that I had, the black one that I have, uh, Bandit, he's never seen me like this. Um, the other one, Memphis, the brindle dog, I've had him for ten years, so he knows a lot of my mannerisms. He is the one sitting next to me, or like these guys ass pressing against me and he's watching both doors the only two uh doors of the gym 
and uh, Bandit's like kind of like just curious, like, dude, like he knows something's wrong, but um, he just doesn't know what. And Memphis is kind of like, all right, you're gonna work through your shit. I'm gonna watch the doors right now. Um, and that was, you know, that was enough to like kind of like get me up at least and start like walking through it and talking through it. And you know, like I, I reached out to a, uh, a former coworker. He's actually a really big uh, veterans advocate, especially up here, uh, Kurt Power. Um, Army Ranger um, was in, uh, I want to say the, it's not the invasion of Iraq, but that time frame. Um, and uh, he's got a, an incredible story uh, in, in his own right. Um, but he's even told me, he's like, he's like, man, he's like, he's like we, you know, and this is one of the things I've always agreed with, um, with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Cabinets was like, dude, like we, we owe it to them to, to live the best life that we can possible. And, you know, and to make the difference in the world that they can't anymore. Um, you know, like, yeah, we, we all signed the same oath. We all knew the exact same risks. And for whatever reasons of fate or, or just pure luck that we're here and they're not, um, that ha having to remind myself about that every time I kind of hit the wall uh, has been one of the things I've always learned that, you know, um, even if it's just, you know, you, you know, maybe you don't become a, a politician that changes, you know, that changes the world. Maybe you don't, you know, start your own entrepreneurship and, you know, and, and start another charity or, or whatever your uh, whatever your path is. Like, shit, just make the world a better place because you know what? There's plenty of people right now um, that we all had to to hear that stupid fucking bell ring um, during the uh, during the last roll call ceremony um, that don't have that opportunity anymore. So uh, that uh, I, I think that's been like one of the biggest things about adjustment is trying to trying to find out what works for me. Uh, again, like it, there's no cookie cutter definition. There's no approach that's universal to it. But that's what works for me is that like, you know, you have to keep that in mind. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have. What do you guys do? Is that I guess that's that's what I'm really curious about. Like, when you dude. First off, <clears throat> I appreciate you sharing that shit. I mean, honestly, with me, that you you about had me going there talking about your dogs because one big thing for me was i i had i actually recently just had to put down uh my black lab um he was almost 16 years old i had him basically after basically right after uh high school um got him like a year before i joined the marine corps and then like that was my dude and you know your story there they kind of it's it's weird you know, you hear about service dogs and people with service service dogs. That that shit does work, and it was a tremendous help for me. Um, after I got out, just having him that companionship, and um, you know, it's just weird how they know they they know and they can pick up certain things um, about you and your behavior. They just know you a lot better than you think they would. Um, so that definitely helped me. But yeah, I mean, you know. <sighs> it's weird and something me and Jose have talked about, especially like early on in the, in kind of the first time we chatted was just, you know, I try to, I don't, I don't try to live my life with those, those memories and things like just constantly revolving around, but I do like to, to refresh myself on it, you know, regularly just to remember why, what keeps me going. Um, and kind of what you said is that it's almost like the secret, like you say, everything's different for everyone and and different things work for different people um but just living a like a, a simple happy once you find that simplicity in the, in the happiness and know that you don't you know need everything that you think you might to make you happy 
that's kind of the, the secret. And that's all you have to do to, to pay that back to them is just enjoy yourself, enjoy your life and, and appreciate what you have because of that sacrifice. Um, like you said, it doesn't matter. You don't need to, don't need to be top of the mountain. If you want to be great, I mean, great, if that's what motivates you, but, um, you can be just Joe Schmo working at the, at the convenience store, as long as you love your life and you're happy and you're, you know, appreciate where you're at, that that's all that matters. So. Yeah, man. Uh, in 2012, I had a, 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 I wouldn't call it a slip up. Let's just say that I struggled. I struggled hard. I mean, low places, places that just, just dark. And uh, I didn't have anybody to chit chat to other than my mentor. And even then I was still trying to piece it all together. I, I never had time to process. Like, it was just like, you did this and then get out. It was like literally a month and a half and yeah. you know, I'm still banged the fuck up. And then, and then my injuries started coming out of nowhere. Um, and I found writing. That was like my major catharsis. I was able to put it onto paper then into the digital space and then i just kept working at it but even then it was still very very difficult because i was still trying to find something that's you're you're, you're basically traversing time and you're picking apart abstractions that are it's just so powerful and you know if you know i look at it from the philosophical sense right so you know what makes ideology dangerous or good is that abstractions pervade time and space and there are certain kinds of abstractions that have lasted literally tens of thousands of years and that's what makes them dangerous and for me what I figured out was if I don't talk to somebody about it or if I don't find a way to alleviate it or put it somewhere where it's positive or optimistic then what ends up taking place and what ended up taking place was I ended up suppressing it all and then I used to think that flashbacks were a fucking joke and then there I am trying to go to Great Clips, get a fucking haircut, and I smell and feel the heat, and like burning wood or something. And dude, there I am having a fucking flashback at Great Clips, GSR'd the fuck out, sweating, and I'm back on a fucking patrol, and I'm literally in two different space times. And I, you know, like I didn't know what to do with it. Like my, like I was like fucked up. Not only that, I had a really bad problem. I almost ended up probably shouldn't say this, but this is the reality of mental health. I almost ended up killing four individuals when I ended up getting out, like literally almost killing them. And as a result of it, like my body went into this like shock and I became like a hermit for like four years of my life. So I had to deal with a lot of that, uh, like violence trying to, I couldn't project that. I couldn't carry out. I couldn't, I'm not a killer anymore. Like that fucked with my brain. Um, and so I found, you know, so ended up, you know, going through all that process, you know, and you end up finding little things that end up helping you out specifically. And there is no antidote. There's no panacea. And I think that's what a lot of guys, you know, especially the younger guys getting out. And it's like, look, you're going to have to go at it alone. It doesn't mean that you're completely alone, but you got to figure out what works for you. What works for me might not work for anybody else. And that's the problem with mental health and a lot of these academic institutions that they, they try to create these universal platforms that are just not conducive to the context and the situations at the granular level, especially specific stories of how those things affect you. And so 
So I did that. And, you know, what ended up coming out of it was I kind of needed to accept that. It's something that Joe told me before he, he, he died. Uh, we used to stay up really late, you know, in the CFC on our third tour. And uh, he, he, he used to tell me, he's like, whatever you do, bring the guys back home. Bring them home. Bring them the fuck home. Doesn't matter if they're bruised up, beat up. Just bring them home. And I kind of realized then that, you know, bring them home wasn't good enough. Like, you got to see it all the way fucking through till your last fucking dying breath, man. You got to see that shit fucking through. And so I use it all. You know, this is this is my life. You know, it's not one of those guys that's trying to live in the past and, you know, I'm some kind of fucking has-been. No, it's the fact that I actually give a flying fuck. Like, I'm able to fucking finally say that I love these men because of something that is so indescribable and these experiences bond us and i owe a debt i owe i have this duty and i'm going to see it through and so i use all that entire thing and i do the fucking work whether the work is waking up every day at 3 a.m to start my fucking rituals pt hydrating smiling going to work whatever it may be that's what i do um, and, you know, my life isn't perfect. There's a lot of ups and downs, man. There's a lot of ebb and flow of anxiety that I get, that I deal with on a daily basis. And so I listen to all, you know, the, those motivators. And there's one thing Joe Rogan says, you know, is like he does stressful things throughout his, his, you know, weekly rituals so that when he goes into new novel situations, you know, it's not unusual. He doesn't have anxiety. He doesn't have any of these things. And that's kind of what I do. I put myself out there. If you're not comfortable, if you're, if you're not living uncomfortably, then you're not really living. And, you know, that's where complacency comes in. That's where stagnation comes in and you don't evolve as an individual. And not that, you know, I don't like living in the fucking glory days and the heydays, but a lot of that, a lot of that I dedicated my whole life to. Like I grew up in the Marine Corps. And even still, you know, I'm still growing up within that framework because everyone that I, you know, I'm involved with, my network involves every individual that has, you know, served in some kind of capacity or is serving in that capacity. And so I, I could probably talk about mental health in my entire story, you know, from the moment I got out to, to this point. And go for it. I want to hear it. <laughs> no, no, man. It's just. <laughs> No, it's just, it's a, it's a day in, it's a battle day in and day out. There, there are like, for me, man, it's like the enemy doesn't fucking sleep. So why am I going to fucking sleep? But I also know that I need rack ops too. So I can be the best version of myself every motherfucking day. And, you know, I got to the point too, where it's like, all right, you know, the guys, they passed on. What the fuck are you going to do? What the fuck are you going to do? You're not a fucking victim. Suicide isn't in your constitution, but I fucking, I understand it. So what the fuck are you going to do? And the only thing I know how to fucking do is fight. And so I find every possible fucking way that Americans can get killed or we can get hurt or our community can hurt, get hurt or be, you know, compromised. And then I use that and then I fucking fight. And that's what I do. I mean, it's not 24 seven, it's a battle, but there are moments they're all my moments that I do have. Um, and like I said, it's taken a culmination of going on 10 years now. 
And, you know, let me, you know, go back a little bit about, you know, uh, Operation Kanjar in 2009. We used to joke around about, you know, being bomb squad. And, you know, a lot of that stuff was just to, like, ease, you know, the tensions, you know, the reality. And it almost, it almost seemed like we were just, our squad was, you know, attracted to IEDs. And, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I prefer a gunfight over an IED any day. And I think anybody else, you know, I, but I don't think our, I think our squad was ready to evolve, you know, and, and the situation with every unit, I'm sure there's always those individuals that make the experience tough, but that is a reality of what it is that we do when you try to bring in different personalities from across the spectrum across the United States is very difficult to try to ameliorate that situation and to be in a cohesive unit. But our squad was ready to evolve. Our squad was ready to do its mission, what we signed up to do. But it wouldn't have taken place if certain things didn't take place. And I do believe, and I firmly believe that if Grubbs hadn't left the squad and you hadn't taken over, we would have been fucked. I mean, just completely fucked. The buffer zones were collapsing. The, the threat was real. Something was shady was going on with our command. We were always left out of the loop, but we still had you. And I don't, I, you know, it's, it's just something that you can't put into words when you say, thank God that you came in because we would have been fucked. Like literally fucked. It's just, and I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that other than be a grateful motherfucker day in and day out for those experiences. And, and maybe that's just what it is. It's just, I'm a grateful motherfucker that that shit did go down and I got to experience that. And I'm here right now, a grateful motherfucker. You are a grateful motherfucker. And I will say one thing, he's saying all this shit to you, man, even after you gave him fucking shitty pros and cons, cause he was too angry. So <laughs> But it worked, didn't it? <laughs> this rotten fuck. This guy. Four, four, oh, four, one. <laughs> four, oh, four, one. Hey, Shu. Uh, why are you giving me these fucking pros and cons? You got an anger problem. Huh? Who yeah. in the fucking Marine Corps? You're, you're like, yeah, look look around. We all got anger fucking issues. Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> so uh, at least I was I'm, open. Yeah, at least I was open about my psychoticism. This, uh, so this, this was my whole thing with that. And I don't know if you and I actually... Uh, kind of um i don't know if you ever have ever really touched on this um i like i always admired your passion and you were like same with you like you want to do fucking two three patrols a day you were like anyone that's busting outside op shithole it's like i like i want to be on that fucking i want to be on that train so i always respected your tenacity i always respected you know the fact that you're very passionate about what you care about uh it's it's something that's again you can't train it it's just innately embedded in your persona, all right? Um, that's just the kind of person you are. The only caveat that I, like I said, the only thing that I found it was you are one of the best leaders that has come out of your generation, all right? And again, this is not me blowing smoke. You already got pros and cons, all right? So, uh, so like, this is me just kind of trying to, to elaborate a little bit on it. So, but seeing a leader lose their shit because again 
of all the things to lose your shit about. Like, no, Jose, you can only go on two patrols today, or you can only go on like one patrol today, and like you get like legitimately like pissed off. Like, and I'm just like thinking to myself, like, I'm not saying that you're wrong for being angry. I'm not saying that you're wrong for having that reaction. Um, just the only thing I was trying to wake you up with a little bit was, you want to lose your shit, do it amongst your peers and not amongst the people that look to you for uh, for guidance and advice and for you know you know when when the fucking you know when the shit hits the fan all right like that's that's really the only real motivation behind that uh was just to kind of like give you like a little bit of nudge in the right direction like hey dude like i'm all about it like i mean you know mexicans make the best fighters on earth um (laughs) i mean shit canelo alvarez holds how many belts nowadays yeah yeah. it's just and he's a ginger by the way jose um but uh, like a ginger mexican a ginger yeah yeah it's it's dude you guys remember in robotti you remember seeing those redheads dude yeah Yeah. and you're like man these were the invasion kids like the time frame the the time frame worked out right you're like wow even even in little jug room like uh like we we would walk down there like for whatever reason like nobody else did and uh that well that speaking of anxiety, that place fucking makes the hair and your neck stand up because every everything is an enclave or it could have been a pressure plate or they could just throw whatever the hell they want to and like there goes half the squad smoke. But uh, like you would see the little like the ginger kids speaking like you know Pashtu and Farsi and everything. It's <laughs> like you're the, like I'm sure there's like a little Russian seed inside you, buddy. Like I don't know, I don't know if you realize this yet. <laughs> or the British man. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's. Those guys were a trip. I mean, we didn't get to talk to them too much, but the, the, those guys, speaking of crazy, or speaking of savages. Yeah. T- why don't you uh, walk us through, Shu? Um, it's kind of a serious topic, man, but you were kind of abused, man, and that's, uh, you're uh, in 2009. <laughs> why don't you share a little bit about that? We're talking about sexual trauma. Okay. All right. Yeah, let's. <laughs> Let, let, let's let's go ahead and this is this is like fu- this was far removed from uh from anything that's been hit the headlines the last couple of years but uh so um i was actually waiting for you to get to this uh, i was glad you remembered um but uh so i mean paulie like obviously like you know we were you know you guys were in your own fob and uh you know like it was kind of it was weird it's like different worlds and different deployments like depending on which platoon you were with or which squad yeah. you were with sometimes yeah um so uh you remember zimmerman right Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The fuck, and again, like just one caveat. That motherfucker was in my fire team when I was a boot. <laughs> yeah, we, we but your boots. Yeah. But where else in a friggin' Marine Corps infantry uh, grunt unit can you friggin' uh, you know can you have Jose? Um, you know from you know uh, where'd you grow up again? New Mexico. Say again. Where'd you grow up again? Uh, I was born in Texas, and okay. then. Uh, uh, grew up in uh, Artesian, New Mexico. Okay, so New Mexico, where, folks, not Mexico. <laughs> New. <laughs> uh, but like, where else can you find a you know a, a kid who basically like lived off a of hammy downs in you know in in New Mexico to having you know me from you know being up here in Boston to uh, Shrek who you know grew up in Chicago, um, and then you know you throw Zimmerman in the mix. You know, let's let's. Let's call a spade a spade. He's a rich Jewish kid <laughs> from Beverly Hills, and we all have the same job. All right. Yeah, right. Like, wh- where else in the world do you get that? I don't know, but 
if it does exist, I'm probably going to seek that out for, you know, for my next career opportunity. But it's, yeah. So like, anyway, uh, so that's, I just want to throw that out there for, uh, for the sake of the story. So I don't know who, I think Shrek had like a mini DVD player or a laptop or a Dini sent him something where like he could like play movies and shit. And like, she would send him stuff on like a thumb drive, I think. And uh, one of them was the movie Waiting. All right. Now, this is 2009. I'm not sure when Waiting came out, but it was not fucking new. All right. This was not a new movie. Like, I think I had seen it at least a couple of times in the barracks. All right. So, whatever. Zim hadn't seen it before, ever. He didn't even know about it. He's like, what, what are you guys watching? Sits down. And he thought the penis showing game was literally the one element of his fucking life that just never came to fruition until that very moment. All right. So for the rest, uh, I, I was already the squad leader at that point. So like for the, I don't know, maybe not, but it doesn't matter. Uh, for the rest of that deployment, Zach was playing the penis showing game <laughs> at every, didn't matter if you were on patrol, didn't matter if you were on post, didn't matter if, you know, you were frigging like at the hygiene pit. All right. Or, ta- or taking a dump. Uh, like he, every opportunity he could. To, to freak, fucking to, abused yeah exactly to, <laughs> to traumatize the rest of us with showing his junk um, and then of course mercilessly ridiculing us for being homosexual after that that was right, obviously, right. that's that's just in the rules so uh so i'm actually i, I, I joked on josie this isn't a joke i'm actually 100 disabled just from the sheer trauma of having to see uh <laughs> Zach's junk every single day for, <laughs> for six months straight. Um, the VA is like, wow, okay, shit, you know, you got <laughs> yeah. um, But uh, so, uh, and that's, uh, I think that led to a couple of good, a uh, couple of good call signs. Uh, my favorite was Jose's uh, Mike's or Whiskey. Um, and then uh, I think, uh, was it, um, Polly, what was Han- Machine Gunner Hanson, the section? Uh, this, right. What, yeah. Do you remember his first name? Was it Jared? Um, Jay. It would have Jay. Jer- Jared, Jared, I think. Jared. Yeah. Hanson. So uh, Jared King, he got the silver medal for that one because uh, he was a turret gunner for one of our convoys. And he, he, and, uh, he chirped up. And again, like he had like the best uh, dry satire punchlines that I think. Yeah. Oh, could yeah. With like, like, because like this, like he's just not like an overtly like. Uh, humorous person but like what he delivers it is like a freaking grand slam every time and it's like i was like all right so so from uh from back to front i was like all right everybody give me a comp check roger up and he rogers up on the on the radio just saying like meat wagons lock cocked ready to rock so <laughs> um and I, i'm sitting in the freaking vcc and it's like well somebody was gonna say it i'm glad it was him like <laughs> i'm glad it was somebody that could actually deliver it without like sniffing like a little schoolgirl. um yeah and he didn't even smile <laughs> oh just, yeah the best part. You, ne- you would never smile <laughs> yeah so 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 thus thus lies my deeply embedded uh tra- uh traumatic experiences through uh <laughs> through leadership damn i'm sorry <laughs> to hear that happen to you yeah 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 so yeah it, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's but if you think about it all right so just put things into context a little bit all right this was after uh vincent and i want to say after Farrell too um, to be in an, in an environment like that after you start losing um, more and more friends as time progresses, all right? It's very, very easy to dig yourself into an emotional hole. Um, 
you know, just thinking about that or thinking about is, is my ticket going to be punched next? Is it going to be, you know, my, you know, is it going to be Jose's ticket next? Like, obviously, I guess a leader, I always thought like, it's always, I, my worst fear was always something happening to them. Uh, I don't care if it was like they fell off a freaking ladder trying to get on post. I, like, that was my greatest fear in the world. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I can equate it to is like my dad always told me, uh, he's like my, and uh, obviously, like, you know, my, my brother was, uh, he went a different route. He went to the Air Force as an officer. Um, and, uh, but he even said, he was like, my biggest fear in the world is having to bury one of my children. Um, and I didn't, I had no idea what he meant up until, um, you know, I was putting, uh, up until, you know, Hawk and, uh, and Wendy said, it's your show now. And like, all right, so these are, so these 12 lives matter more than yours ever will. All right. At, for at, at least the time that we're here. All right. But like being in an environment like that and not having someone to break the ice and just break up the monotony. And it's like, yeah. it's a very dark, for as beautiful as the whole AO was, it was just this desert oasis between the canal and the fields. And like, you know, you stand on top of Opie Rock and like looking around um, at like just the, the landscape of this place. Like, this is like something out of a fucking dream or like a dream movie. Um, but it was one of the most violent fucking areas in the globe. Um, if, you know, having all that weighing on you, and not having someone that can just whip their junk out while you're on patrol and then just com- and just call you a faggot for the next, you know, 20 minutes. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not a proprietor of the word, but it's... No, that's the culture, though. That's just the yeah, culture. So, yeah, so, and that's and that's what he would do. And uh, it's just like, you know what, if, if you didn't have that, it's a very, very, very dark place. And, you know, it's a very dark reality that you're going to have to... We all, come, we all come to grips with it eventually, but you don't... You don't have to right now. And I remember uh, talking to, to Doc Smythe about it and, you know, speaking of somebody that has survivor's guilt, you know, I can, I'm a firm believer that there are angels on the battlefield and we do call them Doc um, after everything happened with, uh, with Wayne. You know, I could tell, like, he never, like, overtly, like, came to me um, asking about it, but he just kind of said, like, he's like, I'm just, he's like, I'm just running through every scenario, like, in my head right now. And I was like, look, that's natural, but don't do it right now. Because, like, right now, folks on the mission, folks on the rest of the guys that are still here, because you're going to have the rest of your life to go over every single what if, like, small facet, shoulda, woulda, coulda um, uh, decision that, or shoulda, woulda, coulda, um, you know, piece of your story or piece of, like, what happened. So don't, don't crawl down that rabbit hole now. All right. Yeah. Like, you know, you put your focus on everybody that's still here. And trust me, you're, you're going to cycle back to that whether you want to or not. Like it's your demons are going to come back, you know, at zero dark 30 at some point. So face them then and focus on these guys now. Um, so that was uh, that's and I think that's how he t- I, th- I think he took the right way. And he's I've uh, spoke to him. I say like a month or two ago, it might have been, might have been further, but he's got like speaking of talking to somebody who has had his own, like he's he's had quite a transition um, between you know I'm not going to get into his personal business, but like right now he's come out on top. I, I I believe I think he's in a great place, and like I said, like it's for us, it's like and you guys, you know, we're talking with but talking to, to Gigstad about stuff like that, like. Yeah, like we're we're here to fight, and like we all know what we're we're here to do. But it's like you all you have to do the exact same thing because guess what? You're not carrying, you know, 
you're not empty handed on the battlefield. You got a rifle in your hands too. Um, but you're also, but your priority is the welfare and the care of the men that's been appointed to you as a corpsman. And I, every time I meet one at like a fundraiser or, or whatever, like I just like, it's literally just like, I, you know, I have two kinds of heroes. One are the men that, you know, I served with and served under and had the absolute privilege uh, to lead and any Navy corpsman, army medic, like it's, it's basically yeah. you just have like both worlds and it's, you know, you have to find that balance and like, it takes a special, special kind of tenacity to do that too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. I mean, I agree a hundred percent with that, you know, kind of, you got to have, you got to have those moments where you kind of check yourself a little bit and having somebody that helps you, um, knocks you down a little bit on, on, you know, the seriousness and that it's just, it's a good, it's a good, uh, good mixture to have. Um, so you don't, you know, kind of get too lost in it, but, um, yeah, one thing, I mean, I think, you know, Herrera and, and, and I have talked about is just getting, getting guys to talk and share their story. You know, a lot, a lot of dudes I I've, you know, have given feedback to me guys from the unit and I'm just like, yeah, man, come on. And, you know, bullshit with us and they kind of they don't know what to say you know and i know i I think that everybody doesn't necessarily think that their role in the grand scheme of things you know think they played a a substantial part but everyone did and i think the idea behind this is that when you can get somebody to come on and talk about it and share their experience and the things that they deal with and still deal with it, it makes people more comfortable in understanding what they're going through if they can't, you know, put a thumb on it right now and be like, you know, and that's all this is, man. We're, we're, it's, it's like I've said, it's never going away. It's going to be with us. You know, we're going to take it to the grave whenever that ends up happening. It's no, it's not like it's a taboo, you know, the things we experience. I mean, decade later, we're sitting here telling stories like, you know, like they happened last week. So yeah, I appreciate you coming on and, and, um, you know, going into it like you did. That was, that was awesome. Um, you got anything you want to say, any points you want to make or, I mean, yeah, Yeah, you you came prepared, man. No, I I literally like, I was like, the last thing I wanted to do was to be on here and just go like, you know, just mentally take a shit and not have anything contribute. Like, and like, this is just literally just me scratching stuff down. Like, it's prompts. It's it's not like I want to like read this whole thing like front to back, um, but uh, I one thing I do want to touch on uh, a little bit is uh, and again like everyone's different. We all handle our own you know our own adjustments uh, individually. But I found that um, when it comes to your outlook on moving forward in the next chapter in your life, or you know, or at least a transition or whatever. And like I think this is a daily thing that you know it's not just. All right, one day you get over it, and yeah, and then life just kind of marches on. No, um, so I think that when it, you guys talk a lot about mental health, um, which you know, suicide, um, all these very important subjects, I just um, so I did a little bit of looking into it, um, and this is just my belief um, that uh, this was it the six different kinds of uh, health um, are all just they're all interconnected and when one starts to sway i think that the other ones um kind of domino with it um so just being mental health uh physical health social health spiritual health emotional health and environmental health um 
I think that all three, all, all six rather, all six are very key um, to all this. And I think that, you know, a lot of the guys who, and the girls too, uh, who find the, who struggle the most, I think that, you know, something has, you know, I, again, like, you know, we woke up every day at zero dark 30, you went from ration, you, you PT, you got your workout in. Jose did two after, you know, he did one before <laughs> PT. And then after he got off work, he went to the gym after that. So, and then um, a knife no, training session in the, in yes. outside the barracks. Yeah, and then uh, some some. My favorite was at um, Asanabad, and like I'm talking like in the dead of night, um, but like it was a full moon, so I could see. I like walked like, and he's supposed to be sleeping because he's got post like in a couple hours, and like shirt off. It's you know black silkies with friggin' boots on, doing wind sprints, doing suicides up and down <laughs> and i'm just like and he was actually pretty quiet too like i was like this fucking ninja is like yeah, yeah. like i like he sleeps like three racks over from me i gotta have one eye open like you know like don't don't sleep on jose man um but yeah like if like he like physical fitness has always been like a huge uh facet in his life i mean all of our lives obviously but i think that you know, if one of these things, mental, physical, social, spiritual, emotional, or environmental, if something either kind of like lags behind or gets a little toxic, then the rest are just gonna, you know, the rest are gonna fall with it. Um, I found that, and again, like, you know, I'll bring it back to my story. I, I mean, I still fit into, into your design. I was going to say something, dude. I said, I wish I had a bigger uh, size, but oh, <laughs> I'm man, fresh no, out no, too. Uh, I'd no, send no, it, no, I'd no, send no, it up to you. No, dude, like this, this keeps me motivated. I was like, if you can't fit in that friggin' medium that you could back in, you know, 2011, like, you know, you time to get the fuck back to work. But, uh, yeah, like I used to be, uh, like, you know, when I first got out, like, you know, I had the dogs, like we would run, um, I would get him his, his exercise in, but like, other than that, like, you know, um, my girlfriend at the time, she did CrossFit. I really never fell into that. I mean, like I, I support it. Like they did a lot of fundraisers for troops and stuff like that. And I, I always thought it was like a great, because uh, I liked it because it was very team oriented. Like you go to a gym, it's like, you're not just working out by yourself. You're doing it as part of the collective team. So like, I always agreed with it that way. It just wasn't per se my thing. Um, and absolutely nothing against it. I think it's it's great. So um, I find, so like I basically like besides running, I really didn't have much, um, you know? So like I can't, you know, living that college life, not having a freaking job to go to, except, you know, two or three classes a week, um, plus a couple of online ones, like, yeah, a few more heavy beers, you know, a few more shitty, shitty diet choices. And, you know, I was 50 pounds heavier. Um, and then uh, just out of, you know, luck or happenstance or whatever, actually, I think I was doing it because I wanted an internship um, through the gym owner. He had just opened a, a, a boxing gym. So um, I needed the internship. And uh, this was just the best way to go about it. I talked to his cousin. And as she said, she was like, you know, go there. Like, at, like you do like a personal training session with him. And, uh, you know, and I'm just let him get to know you a little bit and he'll probably just, you know, I doubt he'll say no, like with your background and your story and like, you know, you're basically volunteering to be, you know, free labor, <laughs> you know, for, for the city. Um, no one's going to turn you down. Uh, so he, uh, so I did. And I just, like, again, like I was, you know, you know, between bad diet choices, um, cigarettes and, um, and just lack of, lack of movement. Like I wasn't. The first training session was an hour, and I was absolutely smoked. I was driving home in the truck just thinking, like, euphoric, how tired my entire body and mind was. Because I'm not only learning a new skill, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, you're just using every muscle in your entire body that you didn't even know were there. 
So woke up the next morning, alarm went off to go to class, and I went to go shut it off and reached out and went, oh, like everything is sore. <laughs> everything is sore. I'm just like, all right, this it, it's like gut check time. Like you have to, you either have to like, you either have to go into this 100% or at least leave your lifestyle behind because it's like, you know, so I haven't, I uh, haven't touched tobacco since um, my diet. Obviously, like I've changed a lot about the diet. Like who doesn't like to treat themselves? But um, everything in moderation, including moderation. So um, I just found that, you know, boxing was kind of my, that was the one thing I think was missing for me was like that physical health um, because there wasn't a fucking, you know, there wasn't a platoon leader saying, all right, everybody freaking boots and use. We're going to do our run. And then we're going to like, you know, right, hit the pull-up bars and everything. Like, um, so to me, it was like, I find that, you know, um, going and doing uh, group related uh, physical activity. Um, I think that it ki- it kicks off so much of, uh, of not this checklist, but of all the aspects of someone's health. You get, you know, I mean, I don't know, like with the pandemic and everything, gyms are kind of shut down or I don't know what's, what's open for different people. But if you can go there, interact with somebody, take a, take a class, and I don't care what it is, like yoga, swimming, whatever, whatever the hell it is, if it gets your body moving, you know, um, and it kind of like gives you a little bit of exposure outside of, you know, your own head. Um, I think that's a great way uh, for a lot of people to do it or for a lot of people to kind of like segue into, into how they're going to, um, you know, continue on in their life. Um, I'll give you just one example um, that I wanted to get on was uh, uh, Colwell Wheezy. Uh, he hit me up. Um, this, was, this was years ago. Um, he, uh, he was, I'm not going to get his personal business, but he was going through a, a bit of a rough patch. And he just kind of says like, dude, I just, I don't know. Like life is just getting, you know, not getting a woman. It's like, it's like life is just fucking, you know, moving past, not, not moving past, but uh, he's like, I, I got so much going on all at once. And like things are set up so I can attack it later. But uh, he's like, just right now, it's like, I'm just, you know, I'm in this, this weird, weird headspace. Um, to where like I just feel like stagnant. I'm like, okay. Um, and I've thought about it, and I was just like, you know, I was like, well, have you ever thought about um, picking up like something new, or whatever? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, they're like, I at this time I'd been boxing for a, a couple of years, um, still very, still very new to it. And I was like, dude, honestly, dude, like, I go there and I train, you know, for even like an hour, like my day just instantaneously gets better. Whether it's the the dopamine release or the endorphins or the fact, you know, that you're focusing on something outside of your own head, you have to, you have to be present for it or else you're, you're, you're going to get touched for it. Like you can't be distracted in between the bells. So, um, you know, unless you want your nose on the other side of your face, but he, uh, so I brought that up to him and, uh, he found a, uh, he was in, I think he was in right side of Detroit, somewhere in Michigan. So he found this Muay Thai gym and, uh, different gyms operate differently, obviously, but, he went in there. He's like, yeah, I'm just kind of, kind of looking to learn. So, like, with Muay Thai, it's like, yeah, like, you can hit the pad, you can hit the bag, whatever, but you kind of have to have the living, breathing, sparring partner um, so you can put all the skills together. So he said when he did, like, you know, they taught him a few things, and they're like, all right, we're just going to, you know, go a little bit of light sparring or whatever. So Colwell, being the, uh, you know, the warrior that he is, thought, like, oh, all right, so it's a fight. Obviously, he's with somebody who knows a lot more than him at that point. And uh, so I, he said he basically got his nose um, creased open. A little bit, probably like you know, a, a couple of other like, uh, <laughs> you know, a couple of other, um, you know, a couple of other bumps and bruises. But uh, he said like, however many rounds they did, um, he's like, he's like, dude, the kid that I was sparring, he's like, he had this fucking look of like, 
who the fuck is this character? Because like Colwell <laughs> at the end of that was laughing at this shit. He was just like, <laughs> <laughs> like is like, dude, I just beat the shit out of you for three rounds. Like, how the hell is this funny? A, how's this funny? B, how you still standing? Um, so and the kid like just kind of like, all right, uh, you get you go work for somebody else. Like, but he said he's like, I was smiling and laughing because I was like, this is the first time I've felt this way in a long time. Um, and uh, you know, like that was just he just went the Muay Thai route with it, and yeah, it, again, like yeah, it's it's it might just be one of those things that's missing that you know, you learn a new skill, you engage different parts of your brain, like you know, you guys, you know, uh, I mean, I li- I could sit here with a notepad, listen to you guys' podcast, and just like that's something that I need to start looking into, like because you guys stay very up to date with articles, and like I didn't even I didn't know they fucking canceled fifty ones. What the sh- what kind yeah. of shit is that? <laughs> So, I don't know. Modernization, baby. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. But, um, don't need them till you need them, though. Yeah, you know? exactly. Oh, yeah. And you always need them. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, like, I think that uh, something like that, as long as you kind of stay sharp in all the, all those different um, aspects of your health, that that's, that's kind of key for, um, you know, j- just for how you're going to go ahead and attack the rest of your, uh, the rest of your battle plan for life just in general. Um, and, uh, I think you guys are, you know, you, like I said, like what you guys are doing, it challenges me. And this is just, you know, being a, being a, a viewer and a fan, um, it challenges me to start looking into a lot of stuff that maybe I don't catch, um, as far as like, you know, um, doing research or staying, staying up to date with a lot of different articles and news sources and things like that. Um, but I sincerely think that stuff like this and what the two of you guys are doing, um, is really gonna make OIF and OEF vets. Um, it, it, it's basically gonna keep us from going down the road that the Vietnam generation of uh, of veterans had to experience coming home. As tragic as that was, um, I don't. I think that with things you guys are doing and what you guys are putting out there for everybody, um, it's really gonna make a difference. So I, you know, I was just as shocked and humbled as uh as ever when uh paulie hit me up and said uh yeah you know i don't know if you've heard of this podcast like yeah of course i've heard of the fucking podcast like um you know but yeah you know we, we want to have you on and i was uh, like uh, shocked humbled honored to to be selected but you know I, I i hope you uh i hope you guys just keep doing this and whatever you need from me um you know i'm not that too far i'm not that far away from north carolina i used to drive i used to drive it in a night coming up yeah. down from 96 to 72 so yeah. you know, whatever you guys need by all means i'll always reach out and uh yeah and i i, I really appreciate what uh, what you guys are putting together here awesome thank you man appreciate you sharing yeah man story. thank you yeah you you hit on uh hit on a lot made a lot of good points there i think you know it's just good good shit for people to listen to and that's all all we're trying to do here so but uh, yeah, if, it, if it makes one dent then I'll, I'll i'll take it as a success oh yeah well, well keep keep grinding out there man keep killing it like you have been love seeing the shit yeah no no you guys too like i, I appreciate everything and i'll life gets in the way all the time but i'll uh i'll definitely be reaching out a lot more than i have been like that's 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 been my my policy is that like i, I don't reach out to people i'd like to um but uh, i definitely need to do a lot more um, awesome and i i, I mean i mean uh, yeah no problem Oh, did you get a hold of him? Yeah. Well, did I, he I, tell I, you? Hold on, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut this down.